If you didn't know it until now, you are the Common Sense Nation. And this is Radio Free Almond. Good morning, you bunch of drunks. Look, I'm making a potion over here. My lab. Alchemy. My radio lab. Radio Lab Arinth. Lab School, you know. Everything named Lab was always, you know, you knew that was going to be a screw off class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except for Science Lab. That was uh, chemistry lab. That was going to be taking some time right there, science lab. But like you know, radio lab, TV lab, you know, animal lab, all the labs. They knew we could just screw off. That did not have to do a darn darn thing. Well, good morning this morning, live from the Discovery Design Truck Centers and Outfitters Studio, and you guys can see. Yeah, we have the little banner, but that's not permanent. There, when we do a new studio. Which we're going to do uh, eventually, probably by the uh, by August, somewhere end of August, somewhere in that vicinity, we'll be able to have a better feel. We're going to have, you know more cameras, and we're going to have tighter shots, and you're going to be able to see the Discovery Design, you know, banner right there. It's going to be easier for you there and to see. And but you know, for now, it it works. Brought brought the banner in, and it uh, works just fine. Thank you very much, and folks. Uh, if you go to discoverydesigninc.com, that's the website for you as well. Also, when you get a chance, uh, thank them for their support of Radio Free Almond. So back from Kansas City, and uh, on the way back, really was subjected to the the coverage of this sh- newspaper shooting. was It just was excruciating because, first, nobody knows anything. So they have to they, – they go on and they talk about perimeters and – they talk about training and they talk about active shooters and they interview like everybody and their mother and none of it is revealing. Zero percent of it is interesting, even by any stretch of the imagination. So watching a bunch of so-called experts or hearing a bunch of so-called experts and hearing a bunch of idiots in the media just blather on incessantly when they know nothing just gets to be such drudgery. It's, I'm, I mean, I was punching out constantly mm-hmm. having to deal with uh, basically people who didn't know anything. And, and, they did, and, and then from one show to the next, and I, I turned them off and on, but from one show to the next, they would just cover the same old thing and 
you know, interviewed detectives and, you know, crime experts and media people. I did hear finally one person on Fox, and this was the guy. I was wondering when I was going to hear it. I was wondering when I was going to hear the one person talk about or try to blame the administration for its viewpoint of the media and calling the media the enemy media. And I was just wondering when that was going to be brought up. And, of course, it was by some guy they brought in who looked like he was just right out of the homeless shelter, this this crime, this detective or whatever it was, some black dude who was on there and finally did mention, well, you know, this is an environment, you know, created by the administration and blah, blah, blah. And apparently that same old thing was happening over there at uh, CNN. They certainly didn't get the answer they wished for. Yeah, you know. This is what it sounds like, but they're going to want to know, was he doing this alone um, or was this in coordination with anybody or did anybody know about this? And a lot of clues about motive might come from the people around him, friends and family. If, if he was doing this alone, um, you know, lone imagine listening shooters. To this, imagine listening to this all day long. These people, I don't even know who this, she's a senior lecturer at Yale University. Senior. Lecturer. <laughs> right. On Anderson Cooper. And this woman has zero <laughs> knowledge about any of this, but it's just like they're all conjecture. Why is Anderson Cooper deciding that he, she, the senior lecturer from Yale University is the go-to person on the shooting thing? are very difficult to identify and prevent ahead of time um, because usually the people who are seeing signs of it are the people who are closest to this person. And then what, you, what you're seeing on TV is just this circular helicopter thing and a bunch of stretchers and a bunch of people milling about, and that's their video pretty much all day long. Oh, the loop. They got the loop going. All oh, day long. God, I can't and stand just that. to relate this back to kind of a bigger conversation that we've had this week about civility and rhetoric. Ah, here we go. There it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, lone wolf actors are often alienated individuals who are looking to displace their anger and frustration onto some kind of outside entity or entity. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes they're objects of ridicule by newspapers, mm -hmm. too. Sometimes these people are, uh, well, how about the article that was written in the newspaper called Jared Wants to Be Your Friend? That was the article about the shooter that was basically taking some info from a court re reporting place and making a story out of uh, this guy, Jared Ramos, who was apparently stalking some chick or whatever. But they decided that was important enough to go ahead and put in the newspaper with the headline, Jared wants to be your friend. Enemy. And I think it's worth pointing out that we've had a constant rhetoric coming even from the president. Ah, okay. Now we're getting to it. The constant rhetoric even coming from the president. Gotcha. That the press is the enemy of the people. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So they're already, I'm not quite sure what time this is, but let's see. Uh, I can't see the timestamp on it. So it, it was, let's see, 520. Uh, so it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. This is when, but they didn't take them long to go ahead and start blaming the president of the United States for this. That's been repeated constantly. And I think it's worth noting that if there is a link here uh, that the publication was being targeted, that that kind of rhetoric can be very dangerous. Well, so much for that then, Chickie Poo, because there wasn't a link to that at all in any way, shape, or form. I guess maybe he could possibly say, oh, yeah, the president made me do it. 
But as far as I can tell, Jared Ramos, who was 38, basically was a person who had unsuccessfully sued the newspaper and one of its former reporters for defamation. They say that he was angry. He had gone on social media before to talk about these people and that he was the subject of an article about supposedly him stalking some woman and the article was headlined, Jared wants to be your friend. Now, of course, uh, it was, he pleaded guilty to criminal harassment and the article described him as having threatened and harassed a former high school classmate on Facebook. Now, how that is news is another story to me. And again, I'm not saying that anybody at that newspaper deserved to to die. But did Jared Ramos deserve to be the subject of an article headline, Jared wants to be your friend? That's a... That's a fair question, man. Uh, it is, it's, but it's never going to be asked, right? Because because people want to make this out to be something where there's absolutely zero involvement of the newspaper in anything, and this guy's just a nut. And the real, realization is, yeah, he is just a nut. But maybe will will newspapers give pause to, and maybe other news outlets give pause to, simply treating other human beings like pieces of meat and objects of their salacious stories. Well, will, will there be any soul searching on the part of the news media about how they rake people over the coals and, and say things that aren't true and just simply make stuff up? Or for that matter, maybe if they didn't make this up, did you really have to have the headline, Jared wants right. to be your friend? Right. Yeah, the guy. There's a guy came in and shot up the office. Oh, who was it? Oh, it was that guy we made fun of that was unhinged that we took to court. You know, it's not really. It's it's shocking, but it's not as, as surprising as it probably should be. No, uh, I mean, I, and again, no one really deserves to die over something like this. I mean, you, you, but the, it, but it, it appears that the newspaper kind of messed with the wrong idiot. Yeah, and and. Yeah. But maybe there's a chance that when you're talking about stuff like this, maybe there's a chance that journalists can go back and say, hmm, I wonder whether it was worth it for us to to say, you know, Jared wants to be your friend. That doesn't seem to – first of all, that headline doesn't seem to be a headline that is basically a factual headline. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't appear to be a headline that – is anything more than a salacious right. shot at Maybe the guy. provocative even. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know, but it's not. I'm sure he was embarrassed by it. I mean, not knowing anything about This isn't Charlie Hebdo here. This is a specific person that they picked out to, to, to right. target in there. So it's a little bit, yeah, this is, uh, this is scary stuff. I mean, you know, people... Uh, people writing things about people in smaller communities like that. This is a guy that's still tormenting people he went to high school with. So this is a small, this is a small, small world, small town, weirdo bully. And the fact of the matter is that they decided they were going to do an article about him. And, and I'm not quite sure it's even news really that a guy pleads guilty to criminal harassment for harassing a former high school classmate. Now it might be news in a small town paper, 
maybe maybe that's what it's all about. Maybe that's what they are thinking that it's news. But really, in the end, I'm not quite sure whether or not the news media is going to reassess how it operates. Because apparently they still want it all day long to make this out to be President Trump's fault. They wanted to make it out to be the fault of a growing disdain for the media. Mm-hmm. And But I, be, I believe much of the disdain for the media is completely well-deserved. I think generally they are a bunch of hacks. And generally what they do is they mess with people's lives who otherwise would never actually be in a situation like this and, and the subject of their articles or what have you. And they treat just common people like pieces of meat to be able to do stories about and and then not so common people. And and maybe sometimes you'll question uh, maybe. And, and again, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not condoning the shooting by any stretch of the imagination, but I am condoning a soul searching on the part of the media. And maybe, maybe Jared Ramos wasn't, uh, deserving of the story you wrote about him in the paper uh, entitled Jared Wants to Be Your Friend. Now, had they say man pleads guilty to criminal harassment, that would be an accurate headline. That's news. That wouldn't be something that you just made up because you wanted it to sound salacious and you wanted it to sound provocative and you wanted to basically belittle the guy and make him out to be some kind of crazy... Mm -hmm. Uh, maniac, and you know the fact that matter is maybe he was a crazy maniac. But Jared wants to be your friend. I mean, really? Yeah. I and and these individuals, the newspapers and and other media outlets, they get away with this every day, where they make up stories about people, they misrepresent facts, they write headlines that basically are. Not based in fact. In fact, there really actually is no factual basis on which to say Jared wants to be your friend. Because a person reading that article, Jared doesn't want to be their friend, does he? No. Do, we, do we know that for a fact? that Jared? So when, so when you see a headline, an article that says Jared wants to be your friend, what exactly are you are you saying you are because when I pick up the article, I know that Jared didn't want to be my friend, but the reason why they said that is because it was him harassing somebody on Facebook. And yet the reality is that might be true. You say that he was harassing somebody on Facebook and you use it in your headline, but Jared wants to be your friend is not an accurate headline. Mm -mm. You said you were driving and watching it kind of, lead to Trump watching the the cycle eventually. Yeah. Uh, Twitter yeah. Twitter it was instantaneous. Oh yeah. Instantaneous people. I'm sure. Blue check marks already going back, copy paste in that old tweet President Trump's uh you know where he named the the, the enemy of the American. So it was instantaneous linked yeah. to Trump within oh, yeah. seconds. So. They, you know, they wanted to talk about the environment, they wanted to talk about what the I mean, I heard it eventually time and time again. It was really sad to hear. I was on Neil Cavuto's show. They interviewed some guy and he was uh, he was a detective or something, or a police person. Of course, these people don't know anything either. They have no idea what happened or anything of the sort. But they but they have to spend 
multitudes of moments on a TV screen just blathering on about st- stuff they know nothing about. They have no facts to go on. They just sit there and talk, and we don't know the motivation, and you know, blah 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 blah. And of course, of course, you don't uh, because you don't. So why not? Why keep talking about something that you don't know anything about? And and, and then just this whirl of these experts, these people, and finally, what happens is in the absence of anything real, the media just will start making things up. If you give them enough time, they'll just start making stuff up. And in that, and that's kind of what happens in, in, in this realm. Is they, and, and when they are left-wing kooks who hate Donald Trump, usually when they're left to their own devices and making things up, they'll make things up about the person they hate, and that's Donald Trump. And his much, supporters. Much like they make things up about Jared Ramos wanting to be your friend. When, when they're left to their own devices, they just make stuff up in order to be salacious and provocative and get headlines. And sometimes it's going to backfire on you when you basically mess with the wrong psycho. That just, that's what you're going to – eventually when you're careless and when you behave in a hackery manner – uh, some someday you're going to wind up crossing the wrong person, and that's going to be a problem for you. Mm-hmm. Now, other people, uh, the most normal, normal, sane people, just go and take the abuse from the media and have themselves ridiculed in the community by the lies the media tells, mm-hmm. and then others take a gun and mm-hmm. shoot shoot them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just pretty much what you're situation is so maybe and i i guarantee you we won't get any of that kind of self-reflection at all in the media and that they'll they'll assume that jared ramos deserved to be represented in the newspaper in that manner they won't even discuss the matter Mm -hmm. and and i'm and again i'm not condoning shooting anybody because you're angry about something what have you but I am condoning maybe the media thinking, oh, yeah, that's right. There was, he was just another one of these people we thought we'd never hear from again <laughs> after we trashed him in our newspaper. Yeah. That's an impossible discussion. What you just offered as a reasonable way to, without you know, committing to, oh, I think they should shoot people at newspapers, which, of course, you don't. That's an impossible discussion to have on Twitter. Impossible to get common sense like that into right. a thread. It won't happen. First, well, he, first he was a Muslim, then he was a hillbilly. Yeah. And people were breaking him down all day, what it is, what he is, who he is. First, he was 22. I mean, now he's 38. Watching Twitter un- unpeel and unpack things over time as it breaks. Well, that's not the place to go. And, and, and essentially, one of, the, one of the problems with even the discussion itself, because I'm sure that there will be people out there who will say that Jamie Allman said that the mm-hmm. newspaper had it coming. That's what I mean, right. And, and, the, and the fact of the matter is uh, I don't think the newspaper deserved anything that it got from, from that. But maybe the newspaper and other journalists ought to think about when they say things in the media and in their headlines, are they accurate or are they not accurate? Are you making it up mm-hmm. so that it sounds better? without any regard for the person you're targeting in the media. And, of course, they Ramos at the time was just some hapless mm-hmm. guy with no resources, and the media crushes these people every single day. Uh, they Every single day they 
trash people and and sh- and send them through their hack machine, uh, and the next day they've moved on to another story. Mm-hmm. Maybe the media ought to think about what it does on a daily basis with this kind of stuff. And again, not condoning the shooting, but maybe it's time to stop making up lies about Donald Trump and his tweets about the media. Stop. How many stories are we going to see today, even in the aftermath of this, about about compiling the number of attacks on the media uh, throughout the throughout, and, and then it, again mentioning Donald Trump again? But but they'll never talk about their own culpability in getting the facts straight and basically telling the. It's one thing to go ahead and report on a story; it's another thing just simply to start adding concepts and words and Jared wants to be your friend was not an accurate headline and they provoked a kook and this is what they got mm-hmm. that and and there's no other way to describe how this went down but that way and you and, and you know no one deserves harassment and I'm talking about the newspaper or the journalists or whatever in that fashion but maybe we'll see some of that but instead we'll probably see today no, you're right we'll see numbers so they'll, they'll, they'll compile numbers and they'll they'll try to make it so there's a trend you know an upward trend now yeah. you know and we'll hear some like Maxine. we'll hear some about some journalist in in El Salvador you know right 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 yeah but and they'll, and and they'll figure out a way to blame it on the on the environment so there's the media for you and when when they're not busy just making stuff up they're also busy trying to get an outcome. I saw they were going crazy over this uh, retirement of Justice Kennedy. Oh, God. And so now what the (laughs) news media is doing and the left-wingers are doing is they are now trying to seek, enlist the help of Republicans in this. And and their go-to people are always, you know, Susan Collins or they'll go to some other Republican to try to see if they can enlist them in the battle uh, to... Block. Defeat. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, the media doesn't oh. want this at all. They're going, they are going positively crazy over this Supreme Court thing. They are going nuts. And they will not in any way, shape, or form admit to the reality that elections have consequences, and this is the consequence of the election. You're going to have a Supreme Court that not only ultimately will likely be five to four in every decision when it comes to as a conservative, it could be six to three by the time the president, president Trump's first term ends, it could be a six, three conservative court and there won't be a thing that the left can do about it. Game set, except start more fires and Mm -hmm. accuse more people of racism and you know whatever. But but there's not a thing they can do. People are already talking about reversal, Roe v. Wade, and all that stuff. You don't you don't see that in the future, do you? Just people are talking about on the radio already. I was like a little premature, but yeah, I don't I don't know whether even an Antonin Scalia would have reversed Roe versus Wade. I don't I don't know. I mean, it was a horrible decision, Mm -hmm. uh, and it was bad law. Roe versus Wade is was even if you look at it on its face was right. a, was a was a monstrosity of a of a law. I mean, it was just not even that decision was solely made as a reflection of society. It wasn't based right. in any way, shape, or form on constitutional law mm-hmm. at all. 
So, in my opinion, at least, so it was a, it was a bad, definitely bad law, definitely a decision that was solely made to appease a certain society at that time. So then, it could be reversed if it was to appease the society today. It would, it would never stand up no. to any constitutional challenge. Hmm. I mean, that's that's just now whether or not that's a good thing is another story. Whether or not outlawing abortion. Just from one day to the next, will 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 help things, or you know, will will be good for society. I don't know, but I know that Roe versus Wade is horrible law. It was a horrible decision, and it would never stand up to scrutiny by any constitutional conservative by any stretch of the imagination. Hmm. So I'm I'm just. So I'm not saying that's a, a great thing. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I, I don't know whether outlawing abortion would have. I don't know what the kind of consequences it would have for this country, but it it wouldn't be easy to traverse an environment like that. But right. But that said, it was a terrible decision, and and would not hold up to modern scrutiny. Mm. Somebody was going nuts on the radio yesterday about how this was it, this is it, it's over, this is the chance, now it's going to all change. Obviously a pro-life person was speaking at the time, but that's all they wanted to talk about was that's the, that's what's going to come up now is Roe v. Wade's going to be gone. Well, you'd have to have, first of all, you'd have to have a challenge to it, and the challenge would have to come, I think, in a larger venue. It'd have to, it would have, there would have to be a court case that wound up in the Supreme Court. In the Supreme okay. Court for it to be. I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure the Supreme Court could just simply decide, Pick it let's up. go back into our archives mm-hmm. and figure You're out which right. case we want to overturn. You're probably right. That's probably what it is. So I think it, there has to be some kind of challenge to it. And I think there probably, there probably will be at some point. Somebody will do it. I mean, that's just kind of how things go. A lot of people go ahead and, and, and purposely challenge something and, and bring it to the Supreme Court. And, you know, much like, let's say I would do, if I were to challenge Stacey Newman mm-hmm. and her dippy slow stepson Drew, if I would if I would challenge that as a legal expression of your First Amendment rights, utilizing the power of the state to disemploy somebody and separate them from their contracts, I'd love to. I would purposely pursue that mm-hmm. as a desire for the Supreme Court to finally desert, decide what boycotts are constitutionally protected and what mm-hmm. boycotts and yeah. things are not. You may set a precedent. Yeah. You may. You may. It very much could, mm-hmm. at, at least at the state level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it, it depends on, on, on how, it, how it all shakes out. So that would be a case where you'd purposely you know, challenge mm-hmm. something and, and want the Supreme Court to decide once and for all. But, yeah, I mean, just on its face, if you look at it, Roe versus Wade was terrible law. Would, would, wouldn't stand up to moderate scrutiny. Now, whether or not they're actually going to do that or not is, uh, is another story uh, altogether, people. That's all. That's all. Now, there are some people wondering, hey, how come, how come Ginsburg didn't retire early during the, during the Obama administration? Like she was, she was already at the time when she was with the Obama administration. She was already frail. She was already sickly, falling asleep, 
she was fall yeah, she was mm-hmm. falling asleep and doing everything else. So people are going, well, how come she didn't resign then? And 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 why is she why is she why is it now a conundrum for the left? Well, it's another example of how the left and Democrats were so overconfident they wanted to gift Hillary Clinton a Supreme Court nominee. That's why that's why Ginsburg didn't get out of there. They wanted to save the Supreme Court nomination for the new queen. That's why she didn't get out of it. it her staying there was, again, a gift, was supposed to be a gift mm-hmm. to Hillary Clinton. It was supposed to be mm-hmm. Hillary and Clinton's little been. holy grail. <laughs> it would have been. And, and absolutely would have been. And she would have, the minute, on January 18th or, or January 25th or whatever it was, after Hillary Clinton was sworn in, Ginsburg would have quit. Gone. Yep. She would have quit. Mm-hmm. And the reason she didn't quit during the Obama administration is because this was little Miss Hillary's mm-hmm. Little golden nugget, and Obama and the rest of the guys wanted to save it for him. And it backfired on them because they are fools. They were overconfident. And when they got their asses handed to them on November 8th of 2016, that was another example of them being completely blindsided, shocked. Their hubris caught up with them. And look what you got now. You're going to get a 6-3 court before the end of Trump's term. So if, if, if you're going to bitch at anybody, if you are a left wing or whatever, bitch at your own party. Because you could have had, you could have had a, just a 5-4 decision in perpetuity yeah. perhaps. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to get a 6-3. Yeah. And, and ultimately, you might even get a 7-2, depending on what else happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, there you go. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Happy days are here again, aren't they, people? <laughs> I told you this is going to be a nightmare for you left-wingers in, for a long time to come. Yeah. And, and I don't know how long you think these, some of these other people are going to last through a second term of President Trump, <laughs> which, is, which is pretty much all but guaranteed at this point. So I don't know what. And then you're, then you're, then you're going to have, then you're going to have a, um, a topsy-turvy Senate which is going to be completely Republican. Speaking of that, Tony Minetti is going to join us. We're going to kind of backtrack to uh, the last couple of days with Sarah Palin in town. And, of course, this Supreme Court situation makes it all the more important to get out there. And I hope President Trump goes ahead and, goes ahead and nominates somebody right away and, and pop this into the 2018 election realm, get conservatives out to the polls in droves knowing what's at stake, and – do it. Now he said Challenge there's a, the list that he pulled Gorsuch from. He said it's still that list. Same list. Uh-huh. So okay. And well, and well, Genevieve right. Wood's going to join us right. at uh, about seven o'clock or seven thirty. I can't remember what time I set her up for, but she's going to be over there. I think it's seven thirty. She's going to be joining us, and Doug Jow's going to be joining us at eight thirty. In just a l- couple minutes, we're going to go ahead and hit up Tony Minetti, and also we'll kind of reflect. If you want to go ahead and chime in on your on the Facebook. And let us know what you're thinking regarding not only what happened with the shooting, but also the situation with the Supreme Court. And I hope uh, I hope he goes ahead and names somebody right off the bat. All right. So without further ado, as we sit here live from the Discovery Design Truck Center and Outfitter Studio, ladies and gentlemen, our national anthem. Early 
Lord, so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming and the rockets regular the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there oh say does that star spangled Banner yet wait For the land of the free And the home of the
right, so in just a little bit, I'll explain to you further why Roe versus Wade is bad law. I'm not saying that it needs to be overturned. I don't know what the consequences of overturning Roe versus Wade would be on this society. I don't know how that would happen. Uh, I, I know there are great ways to uh, promote life uh, that would encourage women to make choices that choose life. Outlawing it, I don't know the outcome of that on our society, but that doesn't take away the reality that Roe versus Wade was a terrible Supreme Court decision, and if it's challenged again, will unlikely stand up. It was a Supreme Court decision basically made in the worst possible way, and that is to appease a society and not even consider the true law of it, but just to suck up to societal norms. And that never makes a very good Supreme Court decision because it's usually not based on the Constitution. So we'll follow up on that a little bit. Let's go ahead and uh, give Tony Minetti a call after a nice, really amazing last couple of days in Kansas City with Sarah Palin. In fact, when I left, Tony Minetti still had his uh, Make America Great Again truck out there outside the hotel. So... Hey, good morning. Hey, Colonel Tony Minetti. How you doing, buddy? Good. Outstanding, yeah. Jamie. <laughs> you, you, How's everybody doing with you? Good. You exhausted yet? What a great past 48 hours, brother. I'm still on adrenaline, man, and you were there. You were in the green room with us. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was great. <laughs> and then on the stage, you were made. You rocked. <laughs> uh, you know, there was no one better that uh, could possibly have just... Uh, electrified the the crowd you know you, you you're part of the people of the state where we're just so tick, sick and tired of these politics as usual and political correctness and we just need to stir it up a bit and just tell people we're not doing that anymore we're taking our country back and the way we're going to do it is peacefully by our vote and showing up on august 7th so thanks for being there for us man it was so cool and sarah palin was just she was a great reminder of the days when we uh, were focused on the grassroots conservatism, common sense conservatism that uh, makes this country great, that ultimately led to the election of Donald Trump. And Sarah Palin, as I mentioned, even in the speech introducing her, she was the first time, 2008, where we saw somebody in the upper echelon of the Republican Party who we could basically ID, ID with Colonel Bonetti. It was like somebody who was just normal for once. And even though that seemed to be something that gave her, got her a lot of criticism from people, the reality is that was the first time we finally said, wow, you mean Republicans can be average, everyday, normal, hardworking people? Hell yes. And yeah, it took no, us a while, but yeah. You're so right. You know, I, I, you know we, we spent a lot of time together over the last couple of days. And I really got to know her so much more. She she is a patriot. Um, you know, she came from blue collar means like my family and I. My dad was electrician, and you know, we get to break the piggy bank and put food on the table. Three brothers in a little room living, but we had a lot of love and went to church every Sunday. We had those values of hard work, you know, and and not not getting just you know welfare. You know, when my dad got laid off, he just kept working part-time jobs, so he got another job. That's the kind of example I had. She did, too, and we had so many similarities of just, uh, you know, what made our country great. I'm glad you said that, Jamie. And she was what you you and I are, and that is we, we just love America and we work hard, but she is bucking against the establishment, obviously, and so am I and so yeah. are you, and we're saying, come on, man, you know, let's just, we can't, 
we literally have both of these candidates, the incumbent senator and our attorney general, going to California, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to hear this. This is what I'm up against, okay? This is not what I'm up against. It's what we, the people, are up against. They think we're stupid, and all we're going to do is have our two primary candidates that the media says is, are going to be the next, one of these two are going to be the senators. They're staging that fight, and they're going to California, ladies and gentlemen, and they're doing fundraisers with either President Obama for the incumbent or these elites in California with the GOP. Do you hear this? This is what I'm up against, ladies and gentlemen. And they're doing these $50,000 chicken dinners where I'm, where I'm raising 100 bucks a pop from you and I. People like you and I, $100 is a lot of money. And they're getting $50,000 chicken dinners. I want to see what the, the piece of chicken looks like for 50 grand. But this is the <laughs> yeah. truth, man. Yeah. You know what I mean, Jamie? Yeah. And this is what frustrates me. And I know it frustrates you. And then they think that we're just going to do what they want. They're going to inundate the airways a week or two prior. They'll come up with, uh, you know, why theirs is the best candidate, but we, the people, are, are taking our country back, Jamie. And I'm here to tell you that I really believe you, Jamie, are going to be part of this movement, and so are a lot of people. The heartland is going to rise up, and they're going to help a patriot, a guy that's fought for war, that understands business, and will not bend the knee to this establishment, GOP, or the globalists of the world, and we're going to just go and rest on our Constitution. And that's why I'm so grateful for men like you, Jamie, that have, I believe, the courage to stand against people and say, no, no more political correctness. We're going to take our country back. One of my favorite moments of uh, that night, Wednesday night, was when you and I were behind the stage, backstage, while <laughs> Sarah Palin yeah. was giving her speech. And I, uh, I, people want to check that out if you haven't yet, where I Facebook Live with Colonel Manetti as we listened to Sarah Palin speaking just, just right before he was called out to the stage. And so I hope you guys can check that out because it was really dramatic. It was a great moment. And, and what I told people yesterday in the aftermath as I did my poolside Facebook uh, live in the morning, Tony, is that I told the story about how I first met you and you appeared on the Almond Report and you came just – Yourself. It was just Tony Minetti and his bomber jacket and his Make America Great Again hat. And he came in. He said, I'm running for Senate. I'm going to win. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to work hard. And that was obviously several months ago. And then here you were with one of the premier torch bearers of the conservative movement introducing you and endorsing you. I was like, wow, look how far this guy has come. It was pretty, it was, it was pretty impressive, brother. All I can say is to God be the glory. You know, this race is about faith and heart. You know, God put it on my heart, and I have to have faith that uh, the American people want a leader and not another career politician. And um, I really think that uh, the fact – I'll never forget that day, Jamie, when I was on your show and you asked me, have you, you know, he goes, have you ever done this one before? And I go, no, you're my first uh, TV interview. Yeah. I'll never forget the look on your face. Like, <laughs> you were like, are you kidding me? And and I think because I think I was blessed by having a person like you that saw maybe something in me that, you know, it's like a David and Goliath, like maybe, maybe, just maybe, this guy can win. And uh, and you gave me a chance, you know, and, and uh, I will never forget where I came from. That was the theme of my speech, right, Jamie? Yeah. 
I, I had I had my bomber jacket on and it was hot and I and it was hot and I said, you know what? I'm why I'm wearing this jacket is to remind me where I came from, and I didn't almost die, ladies and gentlemen, in combat, and I've almost did, and it changed my life. And then after I landed, I didn't say, oh, I'm so glad I almost died so I can someday run for the United States Senate. That wasn't my motive or my heart. And you understood that message, Jamie, and I'm so grateful to you. And I want to acknowledge that for every listener. And thank you. And as I continue to go, I'm going to just be one of the very first ones to say this on the air with you, that I'm going to have your show be the ones where I start. There's other things that are about to happen I can't share but I will say that I'm going to continue to work and give the opportunity to you and others to listen to that we're taking our country back. And I thank you. Hey, no problem. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. I was honored to be there and it was great to see the crowd out there. It was hot. Uh, and, and I just realized too, Tony, you know, you, you could have, uh, even you could have one person at a rally, but as long as you get that baby out on social media and you've got 5,000 people watching each person getting out on social media. You really basically, in my opinion, had a rally of maybe 20,000 people that night, and, and, and you didn't even see them. I mean, that, that was how cool yeah, it was. And, and she was. and Sarah Palin was really – I know you spent a lot more time with her than I did, obviously. Uh, she's just so normal. I, it's just amazing to me. Uh, she's really, she really just everything, everything they said, said she is. Yeah, you know, I, I love that word normal because <laughs> maybe that's what we're, what's happening in America. Yeah. We're going back to normal, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like normal common sense. We have a president that is normal as far as uh, saying, hey, we're going to need to make America great again, and everyone, uh, and we need to drain the swamp. And that sounds like a pretty normal common sense thing. Yeah, we can't continue doing what we're doing. And um, and then we have a, 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 you know, a Senate candidate saying the same thing, and then, you and others, I think the rest of us are saying, yeah, man, you know, how's that working for us so far where we have all these people that say they're, pre- they're experts and we're 20, $21, tr- $22 trillion in, in debt? How's that working for us? Now, how about we go back to normal, to common sense, where we're no longer going to continue to put our country in debt and, uh, and passing these bills that are a 1,000 pages long that have nothing to do with our regular lives. And, um, you know, and that's what's exciting about this movement is that you have normal people rising up, and the Sarah Palins of the world are my heroes. I mean this. I learned so much more about with her yesterday. We hung out yesterday, and I got to understand a woman. You know, there's, there's so much I wish I could tell you, and I just out of, of privacy and respect to sure. her. I will just tell you that she is a true American hero and patriot because she came out to support me because she believes in our heart that I'm the best candidate to restore the Republic, and it's going to a movement starting right here in the heartland. I believe this, ladies and gentlemen, and you're part of it. Your listeners, you are part of this, that we are no longer going to continue the same old song and dance, and we're going we're gonna to respond to people that understand business, because the, the country, our American um, system is based on a free economy, not socialism. We don't want more of the same, and the only way we can do it is if you show up on August 7th. We've got to mobilize, and we have to have voter turnout. And if you're an absentee ballot person, we need you making sure that if you're a serviceman, that you vote. And I'm not telling you to vote for me. I'm, talking, I'm asking you to vote, exercise your right to vote. You decide who's the best candidate. 
of course, I hope I can earn your vote. Does that make sense, Jamie? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and it makes it all the more important to get out there as conservatives, as common sense people with uh, the onset of the possibility of uh, not one but two Supreme Court justices being measured uh, by the U.S. Senate. And you've got to have power in the U.S. Senate uh, in order to get these people through, because not only do you have Democrat obstructionists, but you have Republican ones, too. And you've got to have strong voices in there uh, who are going to be able to battle those both sides of the of the coin. So it's a big deal. It's a big issue. And Colonel Manetti also was cool that you had Sarah here. She didn't just like fly in and then fly out the same night. I mean, she was here for you know, a full day and a half or two with you. So she means business when it comes to endorsing you. And that was cool to see too, buddy. I know. And then us spending time yesterday, I think was, I, I didn't get home till late at night last night. Yeah. And I was there, you know, I spent a lot of time with her and you know, what was really cool. I'll share this because I don't think she'd have a problem with it. Uh, while at the rally, there were, uh, there were, there were people that are faith that wanted to pray with her. And she actually had them at the hotel come over in a room, and they prayed with her. Wow. And, 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 and I don't want to get into all the details yeah. except that, to say that there's people of faith that want to pray with her, not for me or for anyone else, but all for our country. And I think that's so wonderful when you have people of faith that are okay to stand up for religious liberties again and, and to understand that this is really, I think— a lot of the whole idea of America founded on Judeo-Christian values. And I really think we took God out of a lot of things. And as if you were there yesterday, uh, or, you know, or during the rally, excuse me, it was two days now, I can't believe it. Yeah. Um, I, I stood up with faith and said, God put this on my heart, and to God be the glory. You know, and, and that's why, why I think uh, Sarah Palin is uh, just the ideal person to help spark this movement in the heartland. And uh, you were part of it. You know, you mentioned the Supreme Court. Uh, I will appoint, not appoint, excuse me, confirm from the president when they appoint, when he brings them down to me. I will look at the, their, their records, and I don't have to be a lawyer to have common sense, ladies and gentlemen, to know if you're either an originalist uh, that will support our Constitution the way it was written, or an activist where they become these activist judges who create laws when they should be not creating laws. That should be our job as a legislator to give it to our president, who's the enforcer of that law, and signs it for us, the people. We need to stop these activist judges from being uh, lawmakers, and they need to sit on the bench and interpret the law. And uh, I don't need a lawyer like Attorney General Josh Hawley to tell me how to do that. <laughs> and I, I want to say, do you remember... Uh, I need you guys to hear this. This, if you don't have a couple more minutes, this is important. I've been to 43 Lincoln days more than any other candidate. I quit my job, ladies and gentlemen. I'm a retired Air Force lieutenant colonel, and I, our attorney general is able to stay in his state job, but I have to step down. He can continue to get paid. He can continue to use the platform. And at these 43 Lincoln days, I give you my word, I saw him at one Lincoln day. And the one Lincoln Day was the kickoff of the Lincoln Days, and guess what? He was the guest speaker during the morning. That's just what I'm up against, and during the 43 Lincoln Days, I'll never forget seeing our Lieutenant Governor Parson, our senators, our congressmen and senators, and they would speak for him on his behalf, already anointing him our next U.S. Senate, and I would stand there going, I can't believe the GOP is throwing all their money and weight behind this guy who's an attorney general who ran two years ago saying he would not be a ladder climber. What are these guys thinking? They think we're stupid? 
And then I thought, and then I, I, I'll never forget this, where they said, Josh Hawley's the tip of the spear. He understands because he won the Hobby Lobby case. They would repeatedly say that message, and then I would just say, are you kidding me? And I announced during uh, two days ago, and I said, ladies and gentlemen, integrity is what separates me from uh, other people, and I will be truthful with everyone I said. I did not go to the Supreme Court and defend the Hobby Lobby case, and I said, but neither did Josh Hawley, and I did not, ladies and gentlemen, win the Hobby Lobby case, and I said, but neither did Josh Hawley. I go saying that Josh Hawley won the Hobby Lobby case is like saying that I won Desert Storm. <laughs> I heard just to be clear, I did not win Desert Storm. I was part of a team. You see, ladies and gentlemen, common sense. Aren't we done with this? Aren't we just so sick and tired of these politicians? They have the audacity to say something, and now everyone thinks, oh, yeah, he won the Hobby Lobby. The guy didn't even go before the Supreme Court. He was a clerk. Yeah, what I remember. What are we you, doing, ladies and gentlemen? Remember, we you gotta s- say enough of this stuff. Yeah, I remember you, you said that I mean? in your speech. It was, it was, it was awesome. Uh, Manetti for Senate.com. And again, thank you for the great experience. And it was be- great to be able to bring it home uh, through our Facebook lives. And I saw a lot of St. Louisans down there. I know Tia Rose's parents were down there. Tia is 16 years old. And I met her down at the Eric Greitens inauguration. And Tony has a lot of really good young. Uh, people working for him, uh, trying to get him elected. But Tia is a, a great example of that. Met her parents uh, again down there, uh, in uh, over there in Kansas City. So it was one big happy family, buddy. And Tony Minetti, great to talk to you. And thanks for the time. Thank you, sir. God bless you, Jamie. And uh, Radio Free Almond. Tony Minetti out, but I'll be here if you need me. All right. I appreciate it <laughs> very much. i a good fight. <laughs> you bet you right, are. Brother. Okay. God bless you. Thank you, Tony. God bless you, too. Yeah, Bye, sir. So, so it, was, uh, it was a fun time. But I'm serious about that whole rally thing, Phil. I mean, nowadays, you realize that, and, and a lot of people, a lot of you folks out there couldn't come to Kansas City, but you might as well have been there with the Facebook Live stuff. I mean, it was just like... Uh, you could you could reach so many thousands of people. Yeah, man. Uh, just doing that when you're singing "Happy Birthday." <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, yeah, right. To a little kid. That was and, awesome. And and and, and joining, I we, I took you guys into a place that only people who paid like five grand got into, right. and that was that little room there, you yeah. know, where right. where she was getting her when pictures like, taken. There she is. Right yeah, there. exactly. Awesome, dude. I mean, uh, <laughs> the, the people paid like five, ten grand to be in that room. Ooh. I didn't know and that. so you guys all got in for free, which is which is awesome, by the way. Yeah, and that's just how that's great about social media. And speaking of all uh, the other guys, I want to let you know that, uh, and, and thank you to Dave Sinclair for the Jeep Rubicon because that got me to and fro Kansas City uh, beautifully. Although I had to, I had to scramble when that storm was coming in, man, because I had to roof off the thing. And that storm, I saw it when I was coming in up 70. I could see it up north, and I was trying to figure out, is that coming Is that coming down here? Because it looks like it might, <laughs> but it looks like it's kind of staying up there. No. And I, since I was going uh, west, more southwesty, because I was kind of you know on mm-hmm. 70, I thought, well, maybe it'll miss it. But then suddenly, I get on to 40, at, at right off of 70 there, and, and that thing, then I hear the sirens. Oh yeah, man, and and I'm yeah. and I'm trying to hurry to I so I could get to a parking lot or some place mm-hmm. that I could put the roof back on the Jeep. Did you, make, did you make it? I did. Oh yeah, well, yeah. Well, 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 in spite of the fact that okay, there are sirens. It's not raining. It's windy. 
That's not a reason to slow down, people. There's no reason for you to apply your brakes when that's going on. Nothing you're doing with your brake pad is going to change the wind or the whatever's going on. There's no reason to muddle along. Get your ass in gear. Move. Go. We're trying to get to the places of shelter. Yeah. Give it some gas. Yeah. For whatever reason, everybody just suddenly panics. The sky and just, you color know, or something uh, yeah, it's freaks a, them out. Just yeah. keep going, people. Yeah. I was yeah. trying to get to this parking lot so I yeah, could put man. this thing in. You know, yeah. I was I was on the road where I could pull off. So I was like, I'm trying to get to a, a lot, and people mm-hmm. were just like driving along. I guess they were looking at the sky or something. It's like, come on, people, go. Anyway, got that done. And speaking of the Jeep, uh, it looks like the, the Jeep, and, and Dave Sinclair is going to be very happy about this right there in Pacific, by the way, mm-hmm. seeing these Jeeps all over the place. Beautiful thing. And uh, I will tell you that uh, the chance of it being burned by Cortland Sykes <laughs> will not be uh, happening uh, anymore because uh, I talked to Cortland and his people over the uh, last couple of days, and I will be there for him at the. Um, uh, let me let me let me let me play what he what he 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 sent me the other day. Here, hold on. Come on. Come on, give me, give me, give me, give me. Let me see here. Why is this not playing here? Hold on, hold on, people. I'm trying to play you uh, the message I got from Cortland. Um, hold on, hold on, hold on, people. Uh, the other day, it's not working. Hang on. Here we go. Speaker. Jamie, it's Cortland Sykes. Call me back, or I'll set your Jeep on fire. <laughs> so. Uh, Cortland is having a barbecue on the seventh. You're going to be there, right, Phil? Yep, yep. yep. And and uh, so that barbecue, and we'll give you more information about that. Where where's it going to be? Do we know the exact? I location? forget. Okay, yeah, I, I I will give you more. In it's the seventh of July, and so I'm going to be there for Cortland um, at the barbecue. It's going to be a ton of fun. We're going to have some music and a hangout, and it's going to be great. And then also we've uh, got. The Peter Pfeiffer at Cool Dell there in Cool Dell's in Manchester, and that's going to be on the 11th of July. So I'll be out there as well, hanging out. That's in the evening. That's around a seven o'clock thing. Uh, a little party out there at the Cool Dell uh, area. A little, it's like a little pool club, like a rec club out there in Manchester. Really easy to get to, and right off of 270 in Manchester. So I'll give you more information about that. So uh, as I told you earlier, I take all comers. I will be at any event these guys want me to be at, much like I was with Tony. Um, I'll be with Cortland. I'll be with Christy. I'll be with Peter. I'll be with Austin. Uh, I'll be there no matter what. So I just want to let you know. All right, coming up. Genevieve Wood's going to talk to us a little bit. She's going to be with us for a little short time, about 10 minutes or so. But we're going to have uh, a discussion about the next Supreme Court justice nominee, who that's going to be maybe, and about the offing here with uh, what's going to be happening with with, uh, the Supreme Court nomination. And since it was brought up, the whole Roe versus Wade deal, and whether or not there's a guarantee it'll be overturned, I don't know whether there's a guarantee it'll be overturned, but I do know that even people who support abortion rights admit that Roe versus Wade was a terrible decision. It was awful law. It was manufactured to basically suck up to a certain level of society and society norms, which is no way to make a Supreme Court decision. So I don't know what the consequences would be of a – Roe versus Wade being overturned, but I do know that if it's ever challenged, 
it will probably easily be overturned because it just is such an awful decision and awful law. And I'll kind of explain that when we come back here from the Discovery Design Truck Center and Outfitter Studio. Thank you, DiscoveryDesignInc.com, people. Yeah. Happy Friday, everybody. Good morning this morning. Uh, coming up, Genevieve Wood. Also, Doug Giles is going to be with us, too. I told, uh, it's one of the things I said to Sarah Palin when I first saw her. It was great because I I, I'm so awkward in these situations sometimes. I'm glad I had, I'm glad to have that little parachute and said, oh, Doug Giles said hello. So it kind of got me off the hook. I didn't know what to say to Sarah Palin when I first, you know how it is. <laughs> Doug Giles says hello. She's like, oh, yeah, okay. I'm like, <laughs> and then I had to speak again. It's like okay, funny man. I know, so awkward. It was really, but but she's really easy to talk to. But still, it it uh, I was like, oh yeah. So I was I had that little was able to have that little 
escape hatch. And so I'll tell Doug that she said hello herself because they worked a lot together with the Tea Party deal. And so that was, uh, that was a ton, uh, ton of fun. So, all right, we have this coming up uh, with, the, with the Supreme Court. You okay with everybody? Um, I'm all right now. Okay, good. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. No, I just want to make sure you're, you're all right. That's mm-hmm. all. Um, so I'm going to do uh, about 7.30. Uh, we'll call Genevieve Wood and talk to her about this. But I'd be interested to see what some of your Facebook comments are like on this. You got Facebook up over I there, Phil? Just now, yeah. Okay, good. Because he, here's the thing, and, and there are people who are – thinking that Roe versus Wade will automatically be overturned if we have a 5-4 conservative court, and ultimately we will have a 6-3 conservative court. So for those of you out there in Democrat left-wing land, Mm -hmm. your lives are going to be continually miserable for the next six years, uh, at least, just so you know. But anyway, there's some questions as to whether Roe versus Wade will automatically be overturned. Now, again, I don't know what the end result would be of a decision overturning Roe versus Wade. I I don't know whether it would be ultimately tumultuous for society, whether you'd go back to the hangar thing. I don't know. I do know that Roe versus Wade was a terrible decision. It was not based in any constitutional principle. It was based on this weird concept of viability that we'll get into a little bit later on even you know who was one of the main critics of roe versus wade as a piece of law was none other than justice ruth bader ginsburg do you know that i didn't know that she said there was zero contact or zero involvement uh with any lawmakers whatsoever. Now, I'm not saying Congress has to be involved in a Supreme Court decision, but she she was quoted as saying that Roe versus Wade was not measured, uh, was uh, it invited no dialogue with legislators. And even Harry Blackman, he was the guy who actually wrote the decision, uh, called the court's decision to hear Roe versus Wade a serious mistake. It basically had – oh, sorry. I just said serious in my – dumb did. serious just went off. Wow, that finally worked. Somebody actually made that happen. I've yeah. never seen it. Crazy. You're saying that the legislators should have been involved and they well, weren't. And that's they, the they didn't talk to anybody about what viability truly is, about what uh, – how this decision was going to be made, and w- w- was there any uh, – there was a right that was created – that had nothing to do with law, morality, or even science. It was solely based on the militancy of our society. Okay, here. I don't want to, I don't want to do anything, Siri, okay? Get the hell out of here. Stalking me. Yeah, man. Wench. So here's the deal. It was not based in anything, any matter of anything that normally a Supreme Court would weigh things on. It was solely based on a on a militant feminist mm-hmm. society at the time that was trying to push this as some kind of like uh, a women's right when it had wasn't based on any 
thing related to morality, law, or even science. And, you know, Blackman, he's the guy who wrote the decision and said that the Supreme Court shouldn't have even heard the case. And it basically, the decision also, and I'm, I'm, I'm reading from an interesting article in Life News, it said that the decision hinged on the arbitrary concept of viability, which would be the point after which the state could restrict abortion. And this guy who wrote a book called Abuse of Discretion says, in the words of the Jeffrey Rosen who was uh, reviewed, the justices and law clerks essentially pulled the viability standard out of a hat. They, they, they just basically decided, okay, well, you can kill babies then, but you can't kill them after this point. And they had no, it had nothing to do with science or what, when a baby is viable, which is why you, know, you, you, you have when you, when you hear a baby that is basically uh, two weeks in, you can hear a heartbeat. None of that was even considered, which is why people are going, oh, yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can hear a heartbeat. I'm not quite sure whether it's after two weeks, but I'm saying, uh, you know, they didn't even talk about that. They just set a time where you couldn't abort babies anymore and set a time that you could. It was like, uh, what, what was that based on? Nothing. And then you even had people who were wanting the, the, the later term abortions, too. But, and also, do you realize, and, and I know that people are saying, and what are people saying on Facebook, by the way, about this? Because uh, there are some people who are decent, normal, average, everyday people who say, oh, man, if we overturn Roe versus Wade, it's going to be like crazy. But the fact of the matter is it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that Roe versus Wade, by any measure, was terrible law. Any decent, conscious measure was terrible law. And also what it created was a situation where, yeah, you hear President Trump. Remember he went to visit North Korea and, and I'm, I'm with Kim Jong-un? Talked to Kim Jong-un. Dared shake hands with Kim Jong-un. Remember the left saying, North Korea is a terrible, inhumane place. How dare he have anything to do with North Korea and sucking up to this dictator and what about human rights and blah, blah, blah. You hear all the left-wing blather about that. Well, guess what? There are only four countries in the world that allow babies to be killed after 14 weeks of gestation. There are only four countries that allow babies to be killed after four weeks of gest- 14 weeks of gestation. And it's the United States of America, Canada, North Korea, and China. So all this blathering about human rights and about this and about that is empty. I don't, that's why I don't listen to the left when they talk about children at the border and children here and children there. Because in the end, this country shares a basic, totally inhuman uh, act with two of the countries that are the worst when it comes to human rights in this world, China and North Korea. Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't know about I didn't know that Canada was on the list yeah. of the four. That kind of surprised me for some reason. But people on Facebook are saying in something that you're talking about with them making up the right of a woman 
to make this decision are saying that one of the main things is that they don't include fathers and they didn't they didn't include the men in these decisions and maybe that was one of the reasons it got off track from the beginning was it just didn't consider the whole picture of the two people involved in you know creating the life so uh the legislation seems to be a little bit one-sided maybe yeah uh, and, and, and it was a decision that had nothing. It was completely arbitrary, yeah. and, and it's a shame that the uh, that the that the Supreme Court justices, even the person who wrote the decision, was shocked that the Supreme Court even heard it. And and, and ultimately, you know, it still would have been, I guess, ultimately left up to the states. Uh, but it was. Uh, it, 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 William O. Douglas was the one who was the one pushing this, and Douglas was just a, a was an insufferable liberal, and uh, he's the one who he's the one who wanted this to happen. But some abortion backers even admit it was a it was a uh, a, a bad decision, one of the worst decisions in American history made by. By that now, there are people who are sympathetic to the results of Roe versus Wade, but the legal reasoning to support it isn't there. I mean, it you know, there are a lot of people who are happy that women have the right to do that and to have the right to abort their babies, but it's not based in any kind of solid legal theory. It's it's uh, here's here's one example. There's a Yale law Yale Law Journal, and there's a uh, legal scholar John Hart Eli, who by the way won't be interviewed by anybody except maybe Fox News. Neither will Joseph Delapena, who is a Villanova law professor, and he says that the opinion is replete with irrelevancies, non sequiturs, and unsubstantiated assertions. One of them would be on the viability angle. The court decides matters. It disavows any intention of deciding, thereby avoiding any need to defend its conclusion. In the process, the opinion simply fails to convince. And John Hart Eli, who's with the Yale Law Journal, said uh, that Roe versus Wade is bad constitutional law, or rather, it is not constitutional <laughs> law, and gives almost no sense of an obligation to try to be. And And this is... Uh, another aspect of it, I, I hate to kind of read from articles for you, but these are legal scholars after all, um, who, and they're not going to be interviewed, so you're not going to hear this from anybody. So uh, he says, what is unusual about Roe is that the liberty involved is accorded a protection more stringent, I think it's fair to say, than the present court accords the freedom of the press explicitly guaranteed by the First Amendment. What's frightening about Roe versus Wade is that this super protected right is not inferable from the language of the Constitution. The framers thinking respecting the specific problems and issue, any general value derivable from the provisions they included or the nation's governmental structure, nor is it explainable in terms of the unusual political impotence of the group judicially protected. And that, I believe, is a charge that can responsibly be leveled at no other decision over the past 20 years. At times, the inference the court has drawn from the values the Constitution marks for special protection have been controversial, even shaky. But never before has its sense of an obligation to draw one been so obviously lacking. What he's basically saying is that 
there's nothing in the Constitution that affords the right to have an abortion. Nothing. There's nothing, I guess you could say, that doesn't that denies you the right either. But doesn't don't we talk about and the framers talked about the Constitution as a reflection of the pursuit of life, liberty, and the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that that seems to be an implicit, direct notice from the founding fathers that life, the uh, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are preeminent elements of our country, and indeed built into the Bill of Rights and the Constitution itself. And and the only way, the only way that people have been able to defend abortion has been by simply claiming that these are not humans that they are killing. That's right. That's that's the whole game right there. Is what is it? When is it? Right. Mm-hmm. And and the Supreme Court, when it decided, like, why is it that a baby uh, after fourteen weeks of gestation is killable? Uh, as opposed to after, you know, a certain time or before that or whatever. Why – how did the Supreme Court make that decision, yeah. involve that decision at all? And he also says um, there's a person who uh, supports legal abortion named Lawrence Tribe. He's a Harvard law professor. He supports legal abortion, but he said one of the most curious things about Roe – is that behind its own verbal smokescreen, the substantive judgment on which it rests is nowhere to be found. <laughs> so It's not based on anything other than these robed uh, jurors, essentially, who decided it, but based on really nothing. And I guess the lesson here for me is that if something gets through the Supreme Court – even if it's rubbish, and like which these people clearly are saying that it is, it sticks and it stays. So it just tells you how important it is, the cases that are tried. Because I don't know how they've upheld it all this time if it's such rubbish, which it is. Um, 1973, I guess we were the women's, you know, I don't know really what was going on in 73 because I was five. But I guess it was enough of a, a media storm that the women's movement or whatever was going on that they were able to get that decision all the way to the Supreme Court. And have the person that's writing the decision basically say, this shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be writing this as the introduction to the decision. I mean, it just seems crazy. It seems like political activism all the way to the highest level. Well, Blackman wrote the decision and said it shouldn't have even been heard. And his former clerk, Edward Lazarus, who, again, also a supporter of legal abortion, but admits, he says... uh, As a matter of constitutional interpretation and judicial method, Roe borders on the indefensible. I say this as someone utterly committed to the right to choose. Justice Blackman's opinion provides essentially no reasoning in support of its holding. And in the years since Roe's announcement, no one has produced a convincing defense of Roe on its own terms. Meaning, meaning, Ask somebody who's pro-choice, there's nothing they can cite in any legal framework that defends that. Nothing. 
I didn't know this, man. I, I don't know how it stands. Why, why hasn't there been a challenge to it that's defeated it and taken it out? Well, because uh, there are situations where the Supreme Court has refused to hear certain cases. And there are uh, – but, but now uh, they might consider hearing it. There's also a possibility that the Supreme Court could weigh the negative effects of outlawing abortion, period, making it a crime. I mean, what – um, is that where we want to be right now in terms of overturning it and making it a crime? Because once you overturn Roe versus Wade, it becomes a crime, and and, and you can be punished I for. Never thought about that like that. That would become a crime. That immediately it would go yeah. defaulted to crime status. It wouldn't be anything in between. Well, because keep in mind, the Supreme Court ruled it's okay to kill another human being. That, that's that's an impossible situation that the Supreme Court would be in because, it, it, you know, obviously it has defended the death penalty. It's upheld the death penalty, mm-hmm. which I maintain is, is a horrible thing that this country has, the death penalty. But, you know, it, it, that has been defended. Yeah. So I guess technically you could say that. Uh, but but when it comes to a woman uh, killing a baby – uh, having a baby put to death, uh, it, 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 it's, there's nothing that is in any way constitutionally defensible about that. But what would be the results of criminalizing it? Huh. Are we ready for that? And the Supreme Court has uh, ca- can decide not to hear a case. It can always say we're not going to hear it. We're, even if you bring up a challenge to it, uh, they're, they're not going to. And, and, uh, and the Supreme Court, to my knowledge, and I'll ask Genevieve this, I don't think the Supreme Court can just thumb through its files and pick out a case it's going to just simply overturn. I think you have to have some kind of legal proceeding brought up to it. Mm -hmm. Archibald Cox, he's a Harvard Law professor. You've heard of him before. He used to be with the Nixon administration, but also is a person who has before supported legal abortion. And he's with Harvard. Uh, and again, none of these people are going to be interviewed by anybody on CNN. I promise you that. The failure to confront the, ish- the issue in principled terms leaves the opinion to read like a set of hospital rules and regulations. Neither historian nor layman nor lawyer will be persuaded that all the prescriptions of Justice Blackman are part of the Constitution because they're not. They're not based in any, any way, shape, or form. So... The fact is, this is a decision that if if any if it ever becomes before a court, there's not a chance it's going to last. Especially a conservative court that is that is a strict constitutionalist court, it would it will never stand. But CNN saying it's already one hour ago. The plan to overturn Roe versus Wade at the Supreme Court is already in motion. Oh, it is. I'm sure it is so. because some, somebody's <laughs> planning on presenting a case. Uh, and and getting a case taken so that it, it climbs all the way up there. Wow. Now, again, the Supreme Court could refuse to hear it. They, they could say, oh, my goodness, we're going to have chaos throughout the country because of this and blah, blah, blah. But still, uh, it, it can happen. Now, in the meantime, when you said that the, the uh, CNN's reporting that the mo- wheels are in motion, here's what's, here's what's happening is even though there's a chance it'll be It'll be heard, maybe even not heard. That's not going to stop 
the left from this is going to be their issue now going into the midterms. They're going to say, if you don't elect a Democrat, women are going to be in back yep. alleys bleeding to death mm-hmm. because of hangers. Yeah. That's going to be their thing Immigrants now. will come down a notch. And, uh, we'll, a notch. We'll be yeah, you know. No, uh, that, it won't even be a it'll notch, be, dude. It'll right. be, they'll they'll right. disappear. The chasm I mean. of a notch. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that'll be, that will be mm-hmm. the uh, alarm sounding by the left for 2018, and that is that women are going to die mm-hmm. if you elect Republicans. And gay marriage is coming up, too. They say live. as well. That's also the next thing the guy on the on the radio was talking about was Roe v. Wade, and then gay marriage issue will come up immediately, too, and that will all just go crazy. Whether or not it will come up, it doesn't, mm-hmm. won't matter to them. They'll make sure that they say it's going to come mm-hmm. up, even, if it's, even That's if, right. if it's not. That's right. Meanwhile, the news media, in preparation for all this, uh, for the next judicial appointment, the nominee, and we'll talk to Genevieve Wood about that in just a few minutes, uh, what's going to be happening with that. They're already starting, and they're not going to, to the Democrats. They're going to the Republicans. So what they're trying to do now, and, and the news media, and I'll give you an example here with, uh, with NBC, they're now starting to enlist the rhino Republicans in their effort to obstruct the next Supreme Court nominee. And so immediately they're starting to steer people like Susan Collins and other folks. You can hear it. Uh, Let's check this out. I'll play it for you. This is uh, Lester Holt in the news. A rushed push through the confirmation process for the president's Supreme Court nominee. And despite their majority in the Senate, a few key Republicans could make a very close confirmation vote. Yeah. And you know who those key Republicans are. And you know why people like Lester Holt and the gang over there at NBC is currently now lobbying them Mm -hmm. to get involved. And unfortunately, because Susan Collins and some of these other Republicans, uh, Lisa Murkowski, are so – and Jeff Flake, they're so Uh addicted to publicity. If if they can suck up Mm -hmm. to the mainstream media and Jeff Flake can sell more books and everything else, they will do it and they definitely will throw – Republicans and others under the bus. Congressional correspondent Casey Hunt has details. The summer battle over President Trump's Supreme Court nominee already heating up in the Senate. I don't think that we have a nominee yet. Republicans planning to hold a confirmation vote before the midterm elections, refusing Democratic demands for a delay. Why, why would you why would you OK Democratic demands for a delay? That's not going to happen. <laughs> What's this about refusing Democratic demands for a yeah. delay? Why should we listen to any Democrat who's demanding a delay when you don't have to? Well, let's remind them, like Obama reminded Republicans, that elections have consequences, and you're currently not in the majority. So you can you can crab all you want. We're we don't have to. I don't even know who they think they are demanding a delay. Yeah, I wonder what the terms of that delay would be. Why? What would be the reason for it? Give us time to mount more political, you know, crap. Yeah. They, they, they don't want conservatives coming to the polls in 2018 to secure conservative Supreme Court justices through conservative senators. going to happen. Even though they could lose control of the Senate in November. It's never going to happen. This this congressional correspondent, yeah. Casey Hunt, <laughs> is, is, is fantasizing again about about the possibility of them losing control of the Senate. Mm. 
she's making that up because she's trying to scare uh, Republicans into and into uh, making a, a rash decision. And and the bottom line is, it's the Senate is not going to be taken over by Democrats. The blue wave is non-existent. People, the Earth could end tomorrow. Um, would, you know, it's not a good excuse. There are 51 Republicans in the Senate, and the president needs 50 votes to confirm his nominee. With John McCain home in Arizona, battling brain cancer and unable to vote, it'll come down to a half dozen critical senators. Yeah, right. Wonder what their names are. On the Republican side, Senator Jeff Flake. Has- oh, Jeff Flake. You know, he's, he, he loves this because someone's finally paying attention to this needy person again. You know, he's so happy now that he's got microphones all over him. He's going to make this his big deal. Often oppose the president. And Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins are concerned <laughs> about whether the court will uphold abortion rights. Yeah. So, so they're going to be all about abortion rights, even though obviously... They know that even Democrats admit Roe versus Wade is a terrible, terrible law. From my perspective, Roe v. Wade is an important precedent, and it is settled law. On the Demo- it's actually not settled law. I mean, I realize, you know, and again, I have doubts about what the outcome of an overturning of Roe versus Wade would be, but let's just not play the game of inventing facts and it's not settled law it's not good law it's not constitutional law let's just stop pretending that it is and then we can we can discuss whatever the outcome of overturning of it is but you're not kidding anybody saying that this is settled law side, Heidi Heitkamp, Joe Donnelly, and Joe Manchin are all up for re-election in red states. Do you think voters in West Virginia want to see you vote for President Trump's nominee? You know, I think they want me to do my job. I would hope so, Casey. That my job is to make sure that the best person with the best qualifications gets that position. Boy, is his butt tight. He knows. He knows when you're in a situation. When you're a Democrat in a state that normally gets Republicans or conservative Democrats, they, in order for you to maintain your seat, you'll be expected to go along with President Trump mm-hmm. in, in those states. There is next to nothing that Democrats can, can do to stop this. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, thank you, Casey. Is that, that's the tail end of your report, is it? And NBC News tonight has learned that the top White House lawyer, Don McGahn, has called both Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski to discuss the vacancy, a sign that the White House knows just how critical they're going to be to this knockdown, drag-out fight ahead. I say he goes ahead and names the person President Trump does. Don't do any confirmation hearings until after the election. And... Uh, have conservatives swamp the polls in 2018 uh, in in November and get the job done. Mm-hmm. Do it. We come back. Genevieve Wood's going to join us, and uh, she's going to be from the Heritage Fund. I guess i got to call her now, actually. You know what? We need to call her now because uh, I forgot she only has 10 minutes, and I'm already eating away at that at that time. She said she only had 10 minutes. I forgot about that. That's 731. 
and babbling on. But yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how this whole thing shakes out. Also coming up, uh, we're going to have Doug Giles on with us, and I'm going to double back on the newspaper shooting because we started the show with the reality check on just who this guy is and what happened with him at the newspaper, which probably won't be discussed in any serious tone today, but we're gonna, we'll discuss it, that's for sure. Good morning, it's Genevieve. Good morning, Genevieve Wood. How are you? Can you hear me? I'm doing well. How oh, are you? I'm doing great. Daily Signal. I hear you just fine. Oh, perfect. Heritage.org uh, and DailySignal.com. And we were just talking about the specter of Roe versus Wade being overturned and talking about what terrible law it is and beyond. Uh, but, but also acknowledging that there might be a question as to what the ultimate outcome of an overturning of Roe versus Wade would be. But are we getting ahead of ourselves uh, in discussing even that? At this juncture, what do you think about what's happening with the Supreme Court situation? Well, I mean, first of all, I think, uh, you know, <laughs> Justice Kennedy retiring is kind of an early uh, gift to uh, the country on its co- upcoming birthday of July 4th this next week. Uh, you know, look, he, he was a mixed bag. Sometimes he ruled well, but sometimes he ruled very poorly, uh, which is why he was called the swing vote. And the, I think the huge implication here is the president has the opportunity to, I mean, you hear this all the time. This is you know, either the most important election in our lifetime or this next Supreme Court justice pick will be the one that reshapes the court for a generation. But the reality is with the Kennedy appointment, it literally does have the ability to reshape the court probably for the next generation, depending on who he picks. Uh, if he picks someone who is like a Neil Gorsuch or would be like in the mold of a Thomas or Scalia, you're going to have a very solid five votes uh, leaning in a very constitutionalist direction. And by that, I mean, it's not about being conservative or liberal. It's about, are these folks, the, or is it the person who's appointed going to be someone who wants to uphold the Constitution or wants to be someone who's going to try to make laws? And that's the big difference. If it's somebody who upholds the Constitution, you never would have had the Roe v. Wade decision in the first place. Uh, you wouldn't have had people making law as opposed to interpreting the law. So I, I think this is a huge uh, opportunity for the president. If he goes with somebody on a list of 25, as he said he's going to do, uh, I think you have a very good chance you're going to get a, a solid constitutionalist. You know, there was some talk about the possibility that someone like Mike Lee could be nominated. And yesterday I was I was saying uh, that sometimes – or Trey Gowdy – that sometimes having a lawmaker as your nominee can be a mixed bag because these individuals have records and they've been on in campaigns and they've said this and they've said that. And does that make it less likely that a, you know, sitting senator or maybe like Ted Cruz or whatever could be nominated? Uh, because has there ever been – a person who's been a former lawmaker nominated and, and successfully approved for the Supreme Court? You know, on that latter question, I don't recall, Jamie. I, I think that there has been, but it's been a very long time. Yeah. And normally, I would say, to, to, the, to your first part of it, uh, that normally your, your logic there would be right. There's way too many, you know, there's a record, so to speak. We've seen how they voted on abortion cases or how they voted on environmental regulations and so on and so on. But the reality is, Today, the votes will be so divided anyway, I don't know that it would make that kind of difference. I mean, if you think about this, when, when uh, Justice Kennedy was appointed by Reagan in 1987, so 
towards the end of Reagan's second term, he was voted in 97 to zero. Okay, Justice Kennedy got 97 yes votes in the Senate, and I guess there were three folks who didn't vote. Uh, We haven't had that going on in years, and it won't matter who is appointed. They will come nowhere close to getting that kind of support in the Senate. It's going to be a very close vote. I mean, even if you got every Republican to vote, you're showing at 51 votes, right? Right. So, you know, I, I just don't think, you know, that, you're, that appointing a, a senator or a sitting like a Mike Lee, for example, if anything, it could be helpful because you know, they often give deference to a member of their own body. Oh, yeah. Uh, and because it's like you can't say you don't know this person. And, and Mike Lee has very sterling credentials, uh, clearly a very smart man, someone who clearly knows the Constitution. So there'd be a lot that wouldn't vote for him, but I don't know that he would be at a disadvantage more than anybody else that the president could put forward, because I don't care who he puts forward, Chuck Schumer and the majority of Democrats are going to say that they're not qualified. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and by the way, also, there are some people saying, well, no, you shouldn't appoint somebody who's already a senator because you'll lose the seat. That's not, that's not true, correct? Not with Mike Lee. No. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you're not. I mean, you're appointing somebody from Utah. I mean, the chances are the Republicans would be very well to hold that seat. But, you know, Mike Lee's brother is also on the list. Right. And he is a, uh, a circuit court judge out in Utah, uh, also very highly regarded. So, uh, yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of speculation as to who it's going to be, but um, I'm just very hopeful it is a solid constitutionalist who uh, will not be a swing vote the way that, that Anthony Kennedy has been. I have to laugh at some of the folks on the left who are now whining about how uh, Justice Ginsburg should have gotten out of there while Obama was still president. And you have to remind them that the only reason she wasn't is because it was this was designed to be Hillary Clinton's little gift uh, when she became president. They were so convinced she was going to become president that they said, well, we'll just wait and we'll give this little Supreme Court nomination uh, to uh, Hillary Clinton, and of course, it, Ginsburg decides to stay, or for whatever reason. And now look what's going on. There's a good chance she'll be out of there, even possibly by the end of President Trump's first term. No, you're right. I, look, this this is why. Uh, well, there's two things here. This is why Harry Reid has to be one of the most unpopular people on the planet right now. If you're on the left, <laughs> because he he's made all this possible in many respects. I mean, he's the one who who did the nuclear option in the Senate and said, no longer do you have to have a judge get two thirds of the vote. It's just a simple majority. And people said that then you will rue the day because. There will come a day when Democrats aren't in power and there will be a Republican in the White House taking Senate. Uh, no one knew uh, it would be Donald Trump, and no one knew uh, that he would likely get as many uh, nominees as he's probably going to get, and, and that it would be replacing people like Justice Kennedy and, and possibly really changing the direction of the court. But you, know, you live with the decisions you make. And so he set, he set this up. And then you're also absolutely right. Uh, the left was so convinced that Hillary was going to win that I think Justice Ginsburg, had she known the outcome of 2016, she probably would have, would have stepped aside. I mean, who knows? Maybe she wanted to stay for other reasons. But my guess is she would have liked to have been replaced by Hillary, uh, not by Donald Trump. Yeah. Wow. Well, Genevieve Wood, I know you're on a short schedule here. I know you're also going to be ultimately headed to vacation. and Ultimately, I will too. And so you and I are going to meet again 
probably in late July, and there might be a lot to talk about by then because uh, it's a few weeks away, and it's going to be a big, busy next four weeks. News breaks every day. (laughs) I'm telling you, that is for sure. All right, Genevieve Wood, take care. Have a great vacation, by the way. Thanks. Same to you, Jamie. Safe travel. Appreciate you, as always. It's Genevieve Wood, DailySignal.com, Heritage.org. Also coming up, we're going to double back on the newspaper shooting, and I will talk about something that, in all likelihood, the people today discussing this whole event will not talk about, and it's something that I think you're going to need to need to know about, care about, and uh, remember about this case. And of course, I'm not saying that it's okay to shoot anybody uh, or to do anything of the sort. But when it comes to soul searching, and when it comes to doubling back, or when it comes to raising some awareness about how things have gone. I think that the target shouldn't be President Trump and his discussion of the Anna media. It might just be the media itself that needs a little uh, double backing on as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> back in just a few. In the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy a little... Uh, What's up, guys? Rob oh, they, they're not letting me... I wanted to play that. This is something I played last night. Supposedly, this little thing. And loved it. This is Roy Clark and Johnny Cash. Roy Clark, uh, even though he was known to be uh, the star of Hee Haw, and he also, uh, Car Quest, he was the Roy Clark and the repairman and all that kind of thing. Mm. But the reality is, Roy Clark is one of the preeminent guitarists. Mm country guitarist in the world and man did he and johnny cash get it on just great together so check this out you ever hear rock island line you know what the thing of it is if we could remember how this song started we'd have been into it by now Here's the story about the Rock Island line. Oh. She runs New Orleans. A man has got a toll gate there coming right out of town, and if you got a certain thing on board, when you come to the toll gate, you got to pay the man some money. And a train driver pulled up to the toll gate, and a man hollered and said, What do you got on, board? And he said, Now it's your time. I know it. <laughs> well, I got out on you. I ain't got nothing but having you. I got some goats. I got some sheep. I got one old sickly heifer. And I got a donkey, what I call by another name. But that's all I got is Adam you. You uh, got no uh, pig iron? Uh-huh. No slot machines I'm talking about, no, no pig iron. I ain't got no pig iron. If you've got pig iron on that train, you can't come through this toll gate. you got to dump them all before you come through here, because I can't allow no passage of pig iron on this train. You ain't got no pig iron. All right, he said. He said, get that train out of here. So he went on through the toll gate, he raised it up, and the train went on through, and he started picking up a little bit of speed. Got on through 
crew, he turned and looked back at the man and he said, ah, ah. <laughs> hey. I done fooled you, I done fooled you, uh, I got big eyes, uh, I got a whole uh, bunch of big eyes. Rock Island Line is a road to ride. Rock Island Line is a mighty good road. If you ride, you got to ride it like you find it. Get your ticket at the station on the Rock Island Line. Cloudy in the west and it looked like rain. Round the curve come a passenger train. Northbound train and a southbound track. All right, leaving, but he won't be back down. Rock Island Line is a mighty good road. Rock Island Line is a road to ride. Rock Island Line is a mighty good road. Well, now, if you ride, you got to ride it like you find it. Get your ticket at the station on the Rock Island Line. Play a little guitar now. Take a train on the... When you get on up in Illinois, the land gets flat, black, and the corn grow tall on the ground like that. And the Rock Island line can roll swiftly. So we pick it up speed. Build a rock out of line, a mighty good road. Rock out of line is a road to ride. Rock out of line is a mighty good road. Well, if you ride, you got to ride it like you find it. Get your ticket at the station on the rock out of line. Well, I may be right and I may be wrong. Nobody's gonna miss me when I'm gone. Now, rock out of line, a mighty good road. Rock out of line is a road to ride. Rock out of line is a mighty good road. Well, if you ride, you got to ride it like you find it. Get your ticket at the station on the rock out of line. <laughs> yeah. That is some classic stuff, man. At the right time, Roy Clark was, uh, you know, uh, a lot younger than Johnny Cash was. But can you imagine being a guy like Roy Clark and sitting up there with Johnny Cash? And Johnny Cash just loved him. Oh, you I know? bet. I bet they got along really well. They did. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I was thinking about this because, you know, a lot of you knew like Roy Clark and Buck Owens and those guys from Hee Haw. Uh, Grandpa Jones and Minnie Pearl and these folks. And people don't realize that, you know, these people were like in in the Grand Old Opryland. Like Grandpa Jones was the you-know-what. I mean, these guys were like no slouches when it came to uh, performers or when it came to like what they did. And so hee-haw, people kind of laugh at, oh, yeah, hee-haw, ha-ha, hee-hee-haw. You know, it's just a little show. But the people on that show were like the – premier country musicians at the time. I mean, they were just like, it was, I could cuss, but you, I'm talking about, they were like, they were the, right. The, Mm -hmm. the, Mm -hmm. that's how it was. And this was like, what they did with hee haw was these are people who, this is how they made their pool money. That's how they, that's, this is how they made their, they made, this was such easy cash for these guys that they absolutely wanted to do this. And 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 they, and they actually did a great job with it. Hee Haw was a great show. But, I didn't you know, like it when it was on, and I didn't res- I didn't have the respect for other people. No. On it when it was on, but man, I learned later on. I learned everything about yeah on that show. Buck, especially Buck. Um, and Buck um, Owens was uh, like you know man. I mean you talk about the Bakersfield sound and then Roy Clark yeah, had the Nashville right. sound. It was like these guys were. Uh, yeah, and, like people laughed about Grandpa Jones. Ah, <laughs> Grandpa Jones, what a little mm-hmm. hick. It's like, no, 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 no. This guy was like in, in Grand Ole Opryland. These, these guys were the 
cats meow and Minnie Pearl too. Like, people think Minnie Pearl was just like this silly old lady. Her. She was a very funny comedian, mm-hmm. and she was like the lifeblood of the Grand Old Opry. Mm-hmm. And that whole thing with a tag on her hat is just <laughs> classic, man. But it's like um, you, you, going back in time, you go you go through some of these folks. Um, one of the great examples of uh, people who were top shelf performers who wanted to make some easy money was the whole Batman television series. Like if you look at all the guys who were playing the uh, the villains, and and this was like instant payday for these guys from for most of them. But if you look at people like um, like Burgess Meredith, okay, <laughs> who played the Penguin, mm-hmm. Burgess Meredith was a was a very serious, successful, amazing Broadway actor. I mean, he was in he was in some pretty heavy duty Broadway plays and things like that. He was like top line Broadway theater material. And so for him walking around going, it was like, you know, this was like easy money for him, but it, and, and some would say it was beneath him, but I thought he was, it was great. What a great character that was. You had uh, a guy, you know, like Mr. Freeze uh, was played by Eli Wallach and Otto Preminger, who was a premier director played Mr. Freeze, but Eli Wallach played Mr. Freeze. Eli Wallach, if you ever watched the movie, 12 Angry Men, Oh yeah, Eli Wallach was uh, in that movie and was oh. like a another premier, amazing stage actor, and he was in the movie Twelve Angry Men, which is a classic. Yeah, I'm sure I didn't recognize his face, but I just don't yeah. remember which one of the guys he was. There's several of them I don't remember who they were, but the guys like like uh, Cesar Romero. My goodness I was gracious, say, he wouldn't he wouldn't shave his mustache. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> But he he was yeah. he was um, the Joker and 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 Cesar Romero was like an amazing Broadway oh, actor, unbelievable. <laughs> well, a great example too is uh, is Charles Bronson. Uh, Charles Bronson as a young man was in The Great Escape. Mm-hmm. A lot of these guys who came into these '60s movies were guys who came right off of the the, the New York stage, and mm-hmm. Bronson was a typical example of that. Who Charles Bronson was like a very serious. Stage actor on Broadway, and he went into the Great Escape, and and this is the guy that wound up making the Death Wish movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. this guy was laughing all the way to the bank. But you had a guy like Death Wish was like these like a uh, premier gratuitous, mm-hmm. you know, gratuitous. There you go, right? Revenge <laughs> right. series, yeah. you know. And and if you looked at Charles Bronson and his and his pedigree and where he came from, you'd think why would he diminish himself in that way and he'll tell you well uh i can't couldn't make any money on broadway right i i basically got rich making death wish movies mm-hmm. even though it was probably uh he was 10 times the actor yeah he was really good i remember the twilight zone that he was in with uh elizabeth montgomery that yeah that twilight zone episode with uh but i know i know uh his son actually uh, Charles Bronson. Oh, you so, do? Pretty good, yeah, pretty well out in L.A. He's a guitar player. He's real famous. He plays for a uh, for a uh, what's Jackson Brown? He plays for oh, really? Guitar. He's like an amazing guitar player. Wow, yeah. yeah, amazing. So anyway, that's so you, that's why I, I was just thinking that when I was watching Roy Clark and in, in my uh, YouTube loop last night and seeing him, it's like these guys were really. I mean, Roy Clark, quite possibly. I mean, he was one of the 
best guitarists in country music ever. It makes me want to hear another one. He's in the top two or three, probably. You're right, actually. Yeah. This is him and him and Johnny Cash doing the um, uh, Folsom Prison Blues. Mm-hmm. And Roy Clark, you, I think you almost have to watch the video. In fact, what I'll do is I'll go ahead and, and um, put the video in the comment section so you guys can see it. Roy Clark is playing around with his guitar. He's using all kinds of different... <laughs> I hear the train coming, it's rolling around the bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. But that train keeps rolling on down the San Antonio. Kind of forget how great Johnny Cash's voice is, you know. Well, when I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a good boy, don't ever play with guns, but I shot a man in Reno. He's doing that with his guitar. Yeah, right. Just go That's watch awesome. him die. <laughs> I said, won't you go and die? Every time I hear that freight train, I hang my head and I cry. Now he's free. He's grabbing, he grabs a, he grabs a glass. Slide. You ain't gonna believe this, John. <laughs> Makes it look so easy, too. guitar neck and rubbing it along the uh, microphone stand. stand. <laughs> now he's rubbing it along Johnny Cash's boot. I used to be able to do that by myself. <laughs> All I do is cry. I mean, it's just, it's just the, the 
it's a awesome, bomb, man. man. I mean, it's That's great. Awesome. Watch these guys. And the whole time behind all that, nobody pays attention to it, but that band is laying down one of the tightest shuffles. <laughs> I mean, that band is just grooving along <laughs> yeah. in the background, and the piano players riffing everybody's just awesome that's guys. why it was so easy when roy clark was messing up for him to hop back in that's because the had... band's got it locked down <laughs> yeah, he had to... that shuffle could go on for eight days <laughs> they would not miss a beat yeah and it's, mm. he just kind of like hopped on again but it was really funny let me put this in the comment section there for y'all yeah somebody said on facebook that and i know i remember it uh the uh, odd couple episode that Roy was on where he sits in their living room there with Felix and well and it's interesting you bring up the odd couple because that's another example of I just put I just put it in the comment yep, section Roy it. Clark uh, Folsom mm-hmm. Prisoners it's interesting you just brought up the odd couple because here's another example Jack Klugman and Tony Randall were again two premier Broadway actors these guys were stage actors classically trained sta- Jack Klugman was a classically trained stage actor I didn't know that I only knew Tony oh, yeah. I didn't know much about Jack <clears throat> he was in you know you go through all these the, the, and, and he was uh, again an amazing Broadway actor hmm. but they do the odd couple and that's just beer money for these guys <laughs> I mean it just is like it's this is so easy for them oh, yeah. to do this they get a TV show and that's how they pay the bills man Quincy yeah Emmy yeah. Right. Tonight. Jack Klugman was a pretty damn good actor, I got to tell <laughs> He's you. He's married to that that chick from the match game uh, in the middle. What was her name in the top center? I can't remember her name. Brett some, Summers? That's it, yeah. At least they were married. She used to mention it. when they, But, yeah, I like Klugman, actually. The match game. <laughs> God, wasn't that just amazing? Oh, yeah. The match game. All right, so we have this situation where we have – the shooting at the newspaper. And of course it didn't take long for the people who were in the news media to try to insinuate somehow to this that, person. Here, listen. And just to relate this back to kind of a bigger conversation that we've had this week mm-hmm. about civility and mm-hmm. rhetoric, uh, you know, lone wolf actors are often alienated individuals who are looking to displace their anger and frustration onto some kind of outside entity or enemy. And I think it's worth pointing out that we've had a constant rhetoric coming even from the president that the press is the enemy of yeah. the people that's been repeated constantly. And I think it's worth noting that if there is a link here uh, that the publication was being targeted, that that kind of rhetoric can be very dangerous. Yes, of course. That was uh, that was uh, basically three hours after the thing happened. That wasn't the first reference to President Trump possibly uh, being at fault for the shooting at the newspaper. There was one on Cavuto's show because I had I listened to this on the way back from Kansas City, and it was just a nightmare listening to these people who knew nothing, filling space on TV, trying to jabber on about something they had no clue about. They had no facts, nothing. So they just sit there and make stuff up. And so they, you know, Neil Cavuto's talking to a detective, and I think some of you probably have heard that guy. Did you guys hear him? Let me know on Facebook. He's some detective guy. Some I think I know who you're talking about because yeah. he's been a constant. He's been on there many, many yeah. times. I remember there's a big case. He's the guy to go to. He's he brought up the Trump shovel. administration and saying, "Oh, this is ha- this is happening. This is you know they you know this has been an environment and journalists have been under fire and blah 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 blah." 
and one of the things that also was confusing to me is that they said that uh, they the guy wouldn't identify himself, and I was like, well, why not just like if you can't find the guy, identify the guy, why don't you just take a picture of him and put it out in the media? He'll be identified like in seconds flat. I kept hearing these guys going, they don't know who he is. They don't know who he is. He won't tell us who he is. Well, snap a photo of the, of the dude and put him out there and you'll find out in a, a second mm-hmm. who he is. Mm-hmm. I couldn't figure that out. But anyway, uh, this uh, Jared yeah, that's Ramos. That's a good point, actually. Now that you say yeah, that, that's a, a really Take a picture point. of the dude. <laughs> I just registered what you're talking Like, Yeah, you're right. But, but it took them like two hours to they, they, they talk about how we don't know who he is. <laughs> he won't say who he is. It's like, well. That's hilarious. <laughs> hold him down and take a picture of his. Stupid face and put him out there. How, how hard is that? He he erased his fingerprints so we couldn't fingerprint him to find out who he is. I'm going, um, because he did damage his. He did okay. damage his, I didn't hear that either. Wow. Like, okay. Then 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 oh. take a picture yeah. of the guy. Twitter. Thirty seconds. You will know who he is. Exactly. Right? <laughs> Where he lives. What he does. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> what is not discussed in this whole deal, and 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 won't be. Because because whoever brings it up, like I did earlier, will it'll be insinuated somehow that they are saying that the newspaper deserved to be shot up the way it was, and and of course it didn't deserve to be shot up the way it was. But you have to ask the question: Did Jared Ramos deserve the headline "Jared wants to be your friend" in the newspaper? The the mocking snarky headline did he deserve that in 2011 when the newspaper decided to do a salacious article on him because i guess it was a sexy subject of some goofball idiot harassing a former high school classmate on facebook and he had sent the woman numerous emails calling her names telling her to kill herself all this kind of stuff there's no question the guy was a bad guy and a psycho, but why did the newspaper do an article and, and, and instead of headlining it, man pleads guilty to criminal harassment, they headlined it, Jared wants to be your friend. Why did they do that? Because I know that when I picked up the newspaper, if I did, and I saw that headline, that's not factually correct that Jared wants to be my friend. So, so, so maybe sometimes if you're a news organization or if you are anybody else, maybe this would give you pause and a little self-reflection on perhaps maybe next time you won't treat people like pieces of meat and won't capitalize and exploit whatever misery they happen to be in. And maybe next time you'll even be accurate in a headline. Instead of just making stuff up because you think it's going to sell newspapers or you think it's going to be an exciting story. So what Jared Ramos did was he wound up suing the newspaper for defamation and tweeted the newspaper, harassed these guys. And, of course, finally this wound up, you know, um, wound up culminating in, in what happened at the, at the newspaper offices. And, of course, it was an unforgivable, horrible act on the part of this guy. But I'm wondering whether the media is, is going to learn anything from this. That, uh, yeah, pre- pretty much the media gets away or sometimes gets away with printing whatever it wants to print, saying whatever it wants to say, 
regardless of the accuracy of what it's saying and regardless of the people involved. So is there going to be any kind of reflection on was the story fair to him? Maybe it didn't defame him, but was it fair to him? And most times, you know, you can – and the news media knows this. You can get away with your typical, usual exploitation. You can get away with your inaccurate headline. You can be a Tony messenger and and accuse a state lawmaker of rape and then just when it doesn't turn out to be true, just move on to the next story. Because the state lawmaker is not going to do anything to you, you know, it, you, maybe sue you or whatever, but he's not going to shoot the place up or do whatever, you know, and, and, and you wouldn't want that to happen. I wouldn't want anything to happen to Tony Messenger physically. But but what I'm saying is uh, the news media is used to just taking people, running them through the ringer and moving on. And no one ever talks back to them. No one ever gets back at them. People just take their lumps and move on, being beaten down and lied about and misrepresented. And they just kind of go their merry way because that's kind of the way the media is. They'll take you, chew you up, and spit you out. That's what they do. Occasionally, unfortunately, though, you do that to the wrong person. And then this happens. But I, I don't – I don't, again, I'm not saying that anybody at that newspaper deserved what happened to them. I'm not, I'm not saying mm-hmm. that this was a righteous move on the part of this guy. But when you're looking at everything that happened, can the newspaper really say that the headline, Jared wants to be your friend, was fair and accurate? And on those two levels, the answer is no. And usually uh, some idiot like this guy will just not do anything and just be another humiliated, unwashed part of the masses. Move to a new town kind of guy. That's a poking a psycho, though. You're poking a psycho is what you're doing. I mean, that's just just common sense stuff. You're, You're saying, hey, guys out in the media, be safer, you know, in general. Just don't be stupid. You know what I mean? Um, modern technology today, these people can find you. You know, if you're just some staff writer for some whatever, used to be that probably with the back in the day would have been hard to find that person. And, you know, these days, like I can sit in this house and in five minutes find out where you are, who you are, what you do, you know, and it's dangerous to poke a psycho <laughs> in the press like that, you know? Yeah. I, well, and, but, but see, the problem is the media, I, I can go through, if I had the ability, I probably could. I don't know. There's probably some computer program out there. I could go through every newspaper in the United States today and find you 25 stories just like the Jared wants to be your friend story. 25 stories where some guy who has no resources to fight back, who's some hapless criminal or whatever, is featured in some article that is mocking and disdaining and factually incorrect and the headlines unfair. I could, I could dig up 25 of the same articles even today because, because the media does this all the time. And again, 
uh, the, the danger in me saying all this is that somehow somebody's going to, if, if you wanted to, and, the, and of course that will be the takeaway, yeah. whether it be on Twitter or Facebook and everything else, that Jamie Allman you know, defends the shooter. It's like, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, but but I, at this point, I've, I've been the subject of, of the unfair, inaccurate, and crazy headlines and stories that are factually incorrect and only designed to punish and, and seek revenge by media outlets that hated me to begin with. I've been, I've been on the other side of this. I wouldn't go in and shoot a place up. And I wouldn't obviously want anything bad to happen physically to any of these people. But it's sometimes similar, you, you it's mess similar, with the wrong people. It's a similar situation, though, up until the sanity part, you know. But it's similar. This is the same kind of thing where printed, disseminated information about you went out to the masses that was incorrect, misleading at the very least. And, 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 Tainted your reputation, you know, as a person. So oh yeah, har- so harmed you, harmed you essentially. Well, and, and if, in fact, probably ended up untrue. If, if if the headlines weren't there, it probably would have ended up. Uh, it wouldn't have uh, cost me my job in, in, in many ways because the headlines were the ones that told the story, not me. I wasn't allowed to tell the story. That's right. I wasn't allowed to defend myself. Mm-hmm. In fact, we were talking yesterday. The company uh, refused to let me even delete the tweet. That's right. They didn't let me explain it, but they didn't let me delete it either until later. Hmm. So, so, but, but again, um, you could, you could look, I mean, look at the Riverfront Times or the Washington Post that, that directly accused me of threatening to sexually assault a minor. <laughs> and, and the editor of the RFT. Who who actually said that? I think I think she, when she did the story about the FCC thing, that um, she the, the River Times claimed that they created a national furor. Yeah, there was no national furor over what I said. David Hogg didn't even care. Mm. There was no national furor. <laughs> but 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 again, <laughs> I, I I'm not a person who's going to go and shoot up a newsroom. But but the fact of the matter is, they do this routinely. The news media does this routinely to people. And is it any surprise that you, you, you do it often enough mm-hmm. and, and to enough people, mm-hmm. you're going to ultimately kind of mess with the wrong guy? Mm-hmm. I mean, me, my recourse isn't – I'm not shooting up a place. I'm, I'm suing them right. until they're homeless. But 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 that but I have the resources to do that and fight back. Yeah, most um, don't. And, and right. you know – I'll, I'll, th- those people will be living in a cardboard box by the time I'm done with them. And, and I'll own the building. But, but, but I have the resources to fight back, and I'm not a psycho. And I'm not going to shoot up the place. But they do this routinely to people, the news media does. And, and, they just, and, then, and then they move on to the next day. And I'm sure after they did that article about Jared Ramos, Jared wants to be your friend in their little mocking tone, they figured out... There's one story that was awesome about this guy on Facebook, even though it, it, it had almost zero relevance to the community at the time. It probably had zero relevance in any kind of regular news stream or, or any of the sort. It, it, it had zero relevance to any of 
anybody's lives, really. Mm-hmm. But they did the story anyway because it was sexy. And they, and they could use a headline that says, Jared wants to be your friend. And the fact of the matter is, uh, and he sued for defamation, but they did not. Um, they said that he failed to prove that the newspaper had printed was untrue. Ramos failed to prove that what the newspaper had printed was untrue. But I'll tell you, just on its face, Jared wants to be your friend was not true. <laughs> that was not an accurate headline. I'm not sure if it's news or opinion. I, I, I've, I've lost my way as far as the gray, gray area between news and opinion. Um, I, I, sometimes I can't quite distinguish what the difference is, some, some, especially when, when I'm reading or hearing somebody say something. I don't understand if it's news or if it's opinion. Right, and, 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 and they don't know either, which is why, for instance, the Post-Dispatch, when it repeatedly said, I threatened to sexually assault right. David Hogg, finally – when they were told by one of its own reporters that that's not true, they just stopped doing it. Okay, well, then we won't say that anymore. Oh, okay. I got you. <laughs> and they stopped. Yeah, they did stop. <laughs> yep. <laughs> which, which will ultimately just prove my case, because then you say, why'd you stop? And I'll say, well, and, and then, then what are you going to do? <laughs> right. What are you going to say uh, then? Uh... When you ask the Washington Post... Hey, why'd you pull, why did you uh, erase the headline 15 minutes after you put it up there in the Washington Post that Jamie Allman threatened to sexually assault David Hogg? Why did you take that off your headline 15 minutes later? Well, we consulted with our attorney, and he said it wasn't that. Yeah, there's only one answer to that. Right. Or when you ask the Washington Free Press, or I think it's called the Washington Press or something like that. It's, a, it's, it's like an RFT type mm-hmm. newspaper. When you ask them, when you printed the headline that Jamie Allman fantasizes about sexually assaulting a minor, what, on what basis did you know that Jamie Allman was fantasizing about this? How did you come to that conclusion? And the only answer is we didn't know. We just thought that. It's like, oh, and you, I'm sorry, and you're a newspaper? <laughs> so, again, they do this all the time to people. And unfortunately for this newspaper and for these people, they did it to a guy who is a psycho. Yeah. And who was already violent and already out of his mind. But the temptation to do a story about him that had zero relevance to anybody, I guess they could say, well, we put it out there just in case he would have, you know, run into somebody else. But clearly he was just targeting this former high school classmate. They just did it just just for fluff and crap, just to poke him. We're we're trying to educate the public. Right, there you go. Public service. Stalking, it's bad, bad. Don't I mean, j- just because you do a story about somebody and it's wildly unfair and then you add some kind of hotline number at the end doesn't make your story any more credible. Yep. It's a PSA. And unfortunately for these guys, they did, they, they did a story. They did something that they do 25 times a day across the United States, and it was just their luck. They messed with some psycho guy with guns. 
So, but will that be talked about or will they continue to, or will we, we hear, will we see a list later on of all the journalists who have been attacked? Like for instance, in uh, El Salvador mm-hmm. and Russia, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and this will be dubbed into that and, and the dangers of, uh, of President Trump talking about the enemy media. There's a reason why he calls it the enemy media, and it's because these people out there are irresponsible and they lie. And they embellish and they disguise opinion as news and they do it every single day. Every day. And look what they did yesterday. How many times did you, even before they knew what the circumstances were surrounding this this situation, even before they knew how many times did somebody being interviewed on the cable news networks mention Donald Trump? How many times did they do that? How many times did they mention the atmosphere surrounding the media and, and uh, aggression towards the media? But, you know, there's a reason why there's an aggression towards the media, and we've seen it, and we see it every single day. It's because the media gets away with so much in terms of how it mistreats people, and usually what it does, it either picks on people who are already unpopular, or it picks on people who don't have an ability to defend themselves. So, so, so they, they take advantage of the fact that somebody's not going to fight back or defend themselves because they just don't have the resources to do it. And, 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 and unfortunately, that's why they're getting the reputation they get, and some of it is absolutely deserved. Now, is, it, is somebody getting shot and killed? Does it, no, absolutely not. Do I have sympathies with... Uh, uh, Jared Ramos, no. But do I think that it's worth revisiting how you do your stuff and how you comport yourself and how you do your stories? Absolutely. Will that happen? No. They'll, it doesn't matter. They'll read this story. They'll know what happened. And, and you'll still have people talking about Donald Trump and his, and his – uh, tweets against the media and everything else. You'll still have people doing that. And for the most part, he's right. The the, the media in general uh, oftentimes is reckless and they lie and they present journalism uh, as uh, falsely and, and it's all opinion level stuff. And then they move on. They go to the next thing. They'll, 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 they'll interview people who will call somebody a Nazi. They'll interview people who will call somebody a racist. They'll interview people uh, time and time again who will say Trump supporters are evil. They'll, 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 they'll look like – they'll think of Maxine Waters as the next Martin Luther King when she – purposely encourages people to confront their fellow citizens at a gasoline station or whatever it happens to be. That's okay, apparently. And, of course, the only, the only uh, saving grace from all that is that nobody listens to her because if they did, you'd have 
people confronting people at gasoline stations all over the place. And fortunately, even the kookiest among the left don't listen to her. Because, uh, but, but, but otherwise, um, I, I just don't understand how, how you, you all think that this is going to go when you do every single day you're inciting violence against Trump supporters. And, you know, when you call somebody a racist gratuitously, you're, you're giving people the okay to hurt them. When you call somebody a Nazi or you compare them to Hitler or do whatever, you're encouraging people to harm yep. that other person. That's just, that's just the fact. So will the media uh, start to get it? And will the media like have any uh, in any way, shape, or form, will the media have any self-reflection over this? Or will they continue to simply uh, keep blaming this on, on uh, President Trump? And again, I feel bad for these people who were shot up uh, there at the, at the Annapolis paper. But uh, unfortunately, they screwed around with the, the wrong guy. Yep. And, and, and most of the time, people like Jared Ramos go away with their tail between their legs, take their lumps from the all-powerful media, and most of the people walk away and, and, and they live in their disgrace and after being headlined as this and headlined with that. And then some people don't.
sometimes journalists, and yesterday one made a pretty critical uh, mistake on Twitter, will admit that they made said mistake on yesterday afternoon, and this is now a deleted tweet, and it was the uh, Reuters global editor, uh, the breaking news editor, okay, Rob Cox, uh, sent out a tweet that directly blamed President Trump for the shootings in Maryland. And he said, blood is on your hands, Mr. President. This is, a, this is an editor at Reuters, okay? And then basically what he did was, um, was uh, say, this is what happens when at real Donald Trump calls journalists the enemy of the people. Blood is on your hands, Mr. President. Save your thoughts and prayers for your empty soul. This is, the, this is a Reuters editor. And then, of course, he was uh, he deleted the tweet, and then uh, he had uh, this morning he was tweeting out, "Hey, when I saw the news that a mass shooter has targeted the employees of a newspaper in Maryland, I responded emotionally inappropriate. Uh, my comments were entirely personal; they were not in keeping, though, with the Reuters trust principles and my own standards." Uh, uh, my experience as a member of the community of Newtown, Connecticut, in the aftermath of the Sandy Hook tragedy, combined with the possibility that my colleagues in the press were being targeted, pushed me to a state of emotional distress. Okay. So again, of course, he brings up, you know, he, here's a guy who's, ex- who's, who's now um, hiding behind the deaths of children at Sandy Hook to explain why he had his little Twitter temper tantrum. Yeah, you see, I lived in Newtown, and I was traumatized uh, by that. And then what happened in Annapolis just made me – put me in emotional distress. So I grabbed my phone, and I tweeted, crap. Yeah. Just pure crap. And, and inst- instead of actually just deleting a tweet and apologizing, he's got he's to, you know, uh, he's got to dig up the – the deaths of children in Newtown to kind of hide behind that and explain why he was so emotional. And that's kind of like what's going on now is, is, is people feel like any kind of emotion is okay as long as they have some righteous indignation and something behind them. And this guy's no different than Jared Ramos, who killed the five people. Because Jared Ramos apparently believed that because the newspaper was unfair to him, and it was. He felt because he was so wrong that he could take the lives of five innocent people. What do you? How do you think Jared Ramos will react when he's asked why he did this? He'll say, "Well, I was really angry. I was." Uh, and 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 what what will he say? He'll say he was in emotional distress, won't he? That will be his defense. Yeah, um, yeah. Emotional, whatever. Uh, right. Irrational. You know uh, what do they call it? He's the moment. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, and and so this guy who's claiming that he was in an emotional distress is really no different than a cold-blooded killer named Jared Ramos, because both of them are deciding that because they feel a certain way and because of their emotions, they can say. And do anything they want to. I mean, you see it everywhere now. 
We we can we can burn a car on the streets of Washington D.C. because we don't like the fact that an election turned out differently than we wanted it to. We can go and break windows and burn down businesses because we don't like a verdict the way it turned out. And 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 at the same time we'll also be treated as heroes by the news media when we do it because they agree with us and we're righteous. I mean, it's a crazy world when that kind of stuff happens, isn't it? Where no matter what, anything you do somehow is defended because you're butthurt about something. And believe me, you can go to, to, to Potosi Prison right now on death row and talk to 10 different people facing execution who will tell you the same thing that this guy, Robert Cox or whatever his name is, that Rory will tell you. Well, I was in emotional distress. That's why I did that. Crazy. And, 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 Twitter and it, is forever, so you can't delete a tweet. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck the deleting a tweet thing. That's... Impossible these days. So right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but 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 if you're lucky, you're treated like a hero by the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're on the right side, you know Robert Cox. I'm surprised he's not being you know congratulated for being mm-hmm. you know uh, on. Boy, you were really on fire yesterday, Robert. <laughs> right. Yeah. Way, way to call to light the trauma we're all going through here as journalists and living in fear. And yeah, we're all. It's like PTSD. It's like you know, I well, know. I mean, look, look what happens. Look what happens in the White House briefing room. April Ryan with the Urban Networks is unhappy about Sarah Huckabee Sanders and something she said. So it's okay for April Ryan just to talk over everybody, not even take her turn, and just kind of ask questions because you know what's going to happen. Hours later, she's going to be on Don Lemon's show. And she's going to be the next Rosa Parks all of a sudden yep. because of, of what she did. Mm-hmm. Yep. Boy, you're just like Harriet Tubman, April. You should be congrat- you're amazing. You're a, you're, a, you're a quintessential. Truth to power. Yeah, truth to power, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. That's, what they, that's what they do. I mean, look at this, look at this uh, Acosta dude. I mean, this guy is is one of the most. It must infuriate the people at CNN because they know this guy's like one of the most talentless journalists ever to hit CNN, and yet the guy is, has hero status among most of the media. But when you, if you ask Anderson Cooper or Wolf Blitzer or any of these people about Acosta. They're just, it's infuriating to them that this guy who has so little talent is getting the kind of attention he's getting. But it's because uh, he has a sense of righteous indignation and people who are indignant celebrate him, you know? Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Doug Giles, by the way, I, he texted me his, uh, his, new, um, his new painting. Oh, the painting? one he was telling us about yeah. at MAC. Yeah. The one about the uh, the swamp. Drain the swamp. And it's 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 really good. There's a motorcycle in this picture, right? No. Well, uh, let me see. Let me just check it out real quickly because I'm gonna have to we gotta give him a ring here. 
Uh, but let me see. I think there is. I'm trying to see the whole one, the whole thing. But it's pretty darn good. He's pretty talented, this Doug yeah, Giles. He is. he is very talented. As a painter. Yeah, I was really surprised when I saw all of his work. I didn't know that he was – I didn't know he did all of his own drawings and stuff. <laughs> it's uh, Trump with a – and he's got this giant um, plug, you know, like a mm-hmm. bathtub plug. Mm-hmm. Pulling oh, it that's out. right. Drain the drain the swamp thing. That's right, right. Yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know, I didn't see a, I don't see a motorcycle. Oh, I must, I must have been, uh, yeah, tripping. Uh, yeah, yep. Were you tripping, dude? Uh, I was tripping out pretty hard there at the MAC. Did you have a little bit of a <laughs> of a flashback there, buddy? <laughs> Trump on a Harley cruising through. <laughs> thought I thought I did I dream that? <laughs> I swear he said he had a motorcycle in there, man. I, I, yeah, I don't remember. Okay, I've got a Doug number here, but it's probably okay. Five one two number. It just says Doug Giles, so I can't tell what the number is. Call him. I'm gonna try it. Mm-hmm. I need glasses. I have some. I just don't. I'm, sometimes don't. I feel like I am completely blind. <laughs> I'm in that. I need the readers thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. No. I I am too. I usually it used to be I'd, I'd have just um, Aiden I'd, alongside me. I'd have him read the labels on things. One time I had some medicine or something. I couldn't read the label, so I had Aiden tell me how much I needed to take. <laughs> you know? You tell me what's going on. Drink it all, Daddy. Just yeah, drink right, it he, all. Yeah, he could have, like, OD, maybe OD. <laughs> Thank goodness I was nice to him that day. We're scanning the deep seas for the submarine containing Doug Giles. Doug Giles. Doug Giles, Jamie yeah. Allman, Phil Valencia here Hello, in St. Louis. How you doing, brother? Kicking ass, man. How you guys? Uh, we were just marveling at this drain the swamp painting, buddy. <laughs> Bro, is that is that not one of the <laughs> the best Trump paintings? Uh, yes, known to mankind or what? <laughs> he's the and and he. I just love. He's got this big. Gig- he's holding this big gigantic bathtub plug, man. It's just his, and there's Comey on the front. It's great. So how, how where where did this come from? How did how did tell us about the generation of this painting? Yeah, my uh, my buddy uh, and business partner Brandon Ballarani, who's uh, uh, Forbes best selling author of the book The Wolves and the Mandolin. Uh, he came to me. He's like, man have you seen these Trump paintings? He's got a big e-commerce uh, platform and, um, and he sells the crap out of uh, uh, these uh, prints of McNaughton's Trump paintings. And I said, yeah, I've seen them. He goes, what do you think? And I go, I think they're boring. I don't think it showcases Trump as a freaking rock and roll badass who's making America great again. It shows him, you know, kind of forlorn or, or, way too serious like there's one with him and robert Mueller where it looks like trump's going to beat him up i don't think that's a favorable uh depiction of trump and the other one has uh trump weeping holding the flag in a rag cleaning it in midfield on on a football game i i could never see trump doing that uh what i can see is trump with his foot on uh, comey's head as (laughs) comey is is going down the vortex in a DC quagmire with little <laughs> Debbie Washerman uh, Schultz looking mortified that she's getting sucked down 
the, the drain also. <laughs> Love it. And the Hildebeest and Pelosi and uh, uh, bringing up the rear is uh, Obama as he's watching his legacy uh, go down the crapper with Trump having this big uh, <laughs> winning grin on his face, holding the Constitution right out to the viewer's face that says, we the people, while it's got the Capitol in the back under judgment clouds. Now that's a painting. <laughs> Man, you are, I, I, I'm telling you, and I, I, I know this sounds, sounds like a stupid question, especially for, for an artist, and, and it's probably kind of mildly irrelevant, but how long does it take you to paint something like that? Because I, I mean, some of your some of your wildlife art is just Man, it's just amazing. Uh, so, how long does it take you to do something like that? Yeah, it's um, uh, I've I've never actually timed it. Uh, I think he commissioned me in uh, I think it's mid April, and and I wrapped it uh, mid May. Um, it's it's weird. Sometimes, man, you get in there and and uh, and it just falls together. And yeah. then other times, you have to paint Debbie Washman Schultz, and you're like, oh God, please. <laughs> Please make this go fast. Right. Bro, I, I, was so, I was so tortured. I kid you not. It was so torturous to paint Debbie and Hillary and Nancy. And, uh, man, you know, when I study those subjects, man, you can really see inside somebody's soul. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's some scary hoodoo voodoo that uh, those trace chicas uh, are, are channeling. I'm doing a painting right now of melania uh and it's uh it's going to be titled uh titled either uh hashtag mama or uh hashtag uh, uh maca which stands for make america classy again yeah. and uh, what a joy it is to paint such a beautiful woman you know after having to do with those swamp critters i have to tell you though uh, man usually like when you people do paintings of other people like especially like political cartoons and stuff, it really never really looks like the people. I mean, it's like a mild representation of them. But man, you—I don't know what it is. Like you—you you nailed even Debbie Washington Schultz, Pelosi for sure, and 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 Hillary and Comey and Trump. I mean, dude, uh, do you? I mean, this is like serious. Have you, oh yeah, no, I mean, this he's is like, really good. You're uh, yeah. These are, mm -hmm. I, I'm like looking at Debbie Washington Schultz practically. I mean, it's not, I, I know that, but, but I don't know, maybe it doesn't seem like uh, amazing to you, but it is to us who can't draw. So, right. <laughs> yeah. I spent, I spent a, uh, Debbie was difficult um, when I had to do her teeth, <laughs> and uh, the teeth were really hard. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, she skips some dental appointments, man, and yeah. and, uh, and and to me that's that's part and parcel. Because you know, I had this one person said, "Why'd you do that?" It's like that's her. That's the you grill, know? man. That's I, her I, grill. I, yeah, right. <laughs> I love how you put. I love how Anderson Cooper's right in there too, man. It's great. Oh, I, for, I completely forgot Anderson <laughs> Cooper. Yeah, he's. Uh, did you like um? Did you, did you like the little kabuki makeup I put on his cheeks? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did, man. I got to Will you put a link up? Oh, I'll put a link up there. Can you put a link there in the comment section so we can put that in there, Phil? Oh, you put, yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, meanwhile, yeah, we, um, uh, we're. Uh, it, I mean, it's been out. I don't even think twenty-four hours, and we're selling the crap out of them. Uh, we. I think the price point 
over at Keepin' Bear. We don't have it on Clash yet. Uh, Keepin' Bear arm or keepinbear.com rather. Um, uh, I think they've got the print at thirty bucks for oh, okay. eleven by fourteen. Wow! Yeah. So it's super affordable. The original one is oil on canvas, and it's twenty four by uh, thirty six inches. <laughs> and um, I sold that one for five figures. Man, it was wow! It was boom! Yeah. Nice, dude. I yeah, we. I had a guy from. I had a guy from Miami uh, contact me. A uh, very wealthy guy, and uh, he's like, "I want the original." It's like it's gone, man. And he goes, "I want to talk to whoever owns it." He said, "I'm going to see if I can uh, rest it from his fingers." But we're trying to get it over to Donald Jr. And uh, uh, he's very active on Instagram and Twitter. If if he sees this, oh my gosh, man! Oh, yeah, man. It's, it's it's over. Yeah, there's know? there's no question. Hey, okay, so I promised you that when I saw Sarah Palin on Wednesday, that I would tell her that you said hello, and so I, it was kind of like who the hell's Doug John? No, man, you want to hear you want to hear me say hello t- to her from you. Because I'm, okay, I'm, 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 I go into this area because I'm, I'm Facebook living this whole thing, and I go into the area where people have paid like thousands of dollars to get their picture taken with her on behalf of uh, U.S. Senate candidate Tony Minetti here, and so I'm Facebooking live this whole whole thing. And at one point, Tony Minetti, while he's getting his picture taken, while I'm in the middle of Facebook living, he calls me over to go ahead and say hi to Sarah and get my picture taken with her and everything else, and. Because and thank goodness I had you as kind of like my my icebreaker moment because I'm 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 first of all I'm really nervous I love Sarah Palin and but I'm I'm not like as smooth as can be so I figured well thank goodness I can like you drop Doug Doug Giles's name as my little my little parachute here so that's what I did listen to this I think you can hear it pretty well hold on I'll try to. Okay, yeah. Can you hold this for me? Can, can you hold that for me? Hold that, just point that right there. Yeah. Hi, Sarah Palin. Doug Giles says hello to you. Doug Giles from Texas. He's on my show all the time. Yeah, so I, I, so I, then, then, I, then she loved me after that. After I said I Doug. I couldn't hear her. Oh. you say, hey, man, uh, Doug Giles said hello, and she's like, oh. Uh, yeah. Police? Police? Oh, no. No, you can, you, can, <laughs> you can see on the video she's like absolutely new. Exact. She was like kind of surprised I knew you. So I was like, oh, cool. I was I, So I was in right after that. Right after that, I was, I was uh, you know, I was cool. So. Hey, you got you to gotta send me that uh, video clip, man. Okay. Definitely will. I, I will uh, definitely do that. Cause so it, here's, here's, yeah. here's how, um, I mean, Sarah, uh, she spoke at the Searchlight Tea Party event, which 36,000 people. Uh, Sarah, this was like, I think, in 2012. Sarah, or 11, um, and Andrew Breitbart and my daughter, Hannah, uh, they were the, you know, the big ticket speakers at the event. And, um, and then we kind of lost touch with her. I mean, we saw her at CPAC and stuff. And, and then I don't know how she got my book, Rise, Kill, and Eat, because, you know, her and her whole, the whole Palin, uh, uh, tribe are big time hunters and they, and she got my book rise, kill and eat. And, uh, I get just from out of nowhere, everybody starts flooding my inbox. Like, man, Sarah Palin's, uh, shouting you up big time right now. Safari club international event. And, uh, just great. Uh, she went through the whole book 
and um, and then said, listen, you got to follow Doug Giles. His stuff on Town Hall's the bomb. This book, Rise, Kill, and Eat. If you're if you're a hunter and and uh, you want to defend hunting and do it uh, <laughs> with a lot of attitude and fun, you must buy Rise, Kill, and Eat. And uh, so anyway, I I sent her. I didn't even know if she'd get the email. I said, hey man, thanks. That was phenomenal. And uh, she said, yep. Anytime you need anything. Uh, I'm here with boots on and I'll help you kick some ass or something to that extent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will tell you that, that, uh, I had said when I, cause I introduced her before she formally, you know, went and did her speech and endorsed uh, Tony Minetti. And I was talking to the people about her and I said, you know, in 2008, first of all, I thought I felt like she was way ahead of her time because she was more like Trump, uh, than anybody in in terms of connecting with normal, average, everyday people. I mean, in 2008, here was a woman who I believe the McCain camp just simply thought was going to be a throwaway, and they were just going to kind of put her on there. They didn't have much respect for her, in my opinion, because they didn't treat her very well. And here's a woman with with a 90% approval rating as a mayor of Wasilla, 90% approval rating as governor of Alaska, uh, very well put together, great mom, just a just a uh, frontier woman. I mean, and, and 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 we all connected with her instantaneously, and and yet we didn't connect with John McCain, and she was the first inkling to us that hey, you know what? You can be conservative, you can be Republican, and not be some old white forever guy who's been around for years and we can see a new face of this Republican party. Unfortunately, uh, they lost and John McCain summarily then acted like, I wish she didn't, she wasn't on the ticket. I explained that he would have been, he would have been another Walter Mondale if Sarah Palin wasn't on that ticket. Uh, And then she went on in 2010 to do yeoman's work as uh, in the tea party movement uh, and and of course the Republican Party tried to cast her aside, so she wasn't around in 2012. And now she's back, and she's helping good people like Tony and others out there uh, try to make a run for the U.S. Senate. So I I just think she's I I just I am locked down, impressed by her, and she's done a lot of work that I think still goes unrecognized. Yeah, she's a she's a freaking uh, war machine, man. She's Xena warrior princess. Um, she's the she's the epitome, you know, of what uh, my daughter Regis uh, wrote about in her book Warrior Chick. And if people, if if the the hell that her family has been through uh, because of the left, from Saturday Night Live to the fake news uh, droogies on CNN, uh, if people think um, uh, life in in the public eye. Is is so dreamy and wonderful. Not if you're a conservative woman. They come after you, tooth, fang, and claw. Uh, they call you the 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 most uh, grossest name known to mankind, which I won't even say on Radio Free Almond uh, because it's so improper. They've tried to destroy her family uh, from every uh, single angle. And you know what? She's still there. She's still happy. She, uh, keeps on smiling. Keeps on fighting. And uh, that, my friend, is uh, is a rare commodity in uh, these days. Boy, I'd say, and and, and she, she, her energy level and her passion was so antithetical to the laziness and the phoning in that McCain did, that Romney did, and I just I feel bad that the that the Republican Party and others didn't 
utilize her well. They they left her exposed on a number of occasions and just didn't didn't stand up for her. But I, I don't think, she, like you point out, I don't think she cares one way or the other at this point. She's just kind of carrying on, you know. Yeah, no. And uh, um, going back to the the book stuff that she was uh, uh, touting as she was using my content, Jamie. Here's something that's interesting. I have I have Christians. Uh, ministers, big name uh, ministers that will rip my stuff off in its entirety, uh, <laughs> like they came up, like they came up with it. Will never give me props. Will never reference. Will never, you know, say go here and do this. But uh, but Sarah Palin did, and uh, so again, you yeah. know, obviously, obviously, uh, our family's a fan. Uh, she was great to Hannah when all the Acorn stuff uh, was hitting hitting uh, the fan. And and um, it's it's good to be around scrappy uh, again warrior chicks and uh, and also you know amigos like uh, you guys who who take it to the enemy who don't back down who don't become some sad uh, little wallflower and curl up in the fetal position and wet their big diaper they're happy warriors and uh, I'm telling you what man that's what makes uh, the world go around that's exactly why Trump is winning. And uh, it's that attitude, man. Yeah. Everything sucks, but I suck less. <laughs> uh, there's no question about it. So, you know, lots going on. I, I noticed yesterday uh, with this uh, this individual who uh, shot up the, the newsroom there in, in uh, Maryland, it didn't take long for – and I, I think they'll still even do it today, even though we know what his motive was and everything else. They'll still – try to talk about how Trump is creating an environment of violence because he calls the media out. I, you know, it didn't take them long yeah. yesterday. Even on Fox News, I saw it. Yeah, the media is complaining about the term fake news after reporting fake news about non-fake news related shooting. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, you know, I don't think there's any excuse whatsoever for, for what this guy did. But the fact of the matter is uh, he just was a guy, uh, a psycho, that the news media was doing, uh, that this paper did to him what it that, that papers do every day, and that is they did some article. It was not necessarily factual. It wasn't even necessarily fair, uh, which, again, doesn't excuse the guy's actions. But, again, this is pretty typical of the way these guys operate. And most of the time, yeah. your victims just go walk away. They slink away in shame. Uh, and they don't have the resources to fight back. And sometimes you mess with a guy who's just an idiot psycho, and and that's yeah. what happens. Yeah, and again, uh, um, you know, as you pointed out, uh, th- they saw it coming. I mean, if if you listen to the people uh, uh, from the what's the Gazette? I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, uh, whatever the, the paper is. Cat, uh, yeah. They said this guy's going to do this. He's going to come in here. He's going to shoot us, and uh, we feel very vulnerable. Uh, to me again, you know, and I'm not trying to set blame on anybody's feet except for Ramos, the, the, yeah. the, the killer. It's like, can, can somebody go investigate this guy? I mean, he's doing it publicly. He's got a huge vendetta, uh, you know, has, has crap all to do with his political affiliation. The guy's demented, but that didn't stop, uh, CNN, Reuters, Yahoo News, Salon, Think Progress, ESPN, Quartz, Teen Vogue, Politico, The Washington Post, and all others trying trying to tie him to Trump, calling out uh, you know newspapers and the quote unquote media uh, as fake news. It was Trump's fault, and uh, facts be damned, 
you know, it's not Ramos, again, has this beef, a longstanding beef uh, with this uh, newspaper. Yeah. Uh, no. it's, it's, it's horrible, man. A cyclops looking into the noonday sun without an eyebrow or eyelashes can see the bias uh, in the media against Trump. It's insane. Everything that happens, Trump did it. You know, it's right. negative. I mean, you, and, I, and I'll tell you that they're doing the same thing they get away with doing to just normal, average, everyday citizens every day. And that is just jump to a conclusion nail something onto somebody that is not factual, not fair, and they just move on to the next, next, and there'll be no self-reflection in the aftermath of this thing. And again, I'm not, like, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. We're, we're, nobody's defending this guy's actions or even excusing it, but isn't, shouldn't the media be a little more reflective of how it operates every single day, whether it be with Donald Trump or whether it be with, uh, Joe Sixpack, who happens to have a run-in with the law, you know. Well, Jamie, you're you're assuming that uh, they're rational and reasonable, and um, and their pursuit is truth. Uh, that that uh, that took the red-eye flight about what ten years ago <laughs> yeah. out of this country, and uh, you know they're propagandists. I mean, you know this, and uh, the listeners, uh, I'm sure, are hip to it as well. I, I think the people that only that really don't get it yet are the ones who are the purveyors of it. And uh, America's on to them. Uh, it's drained the swamp time. It's, it's, it's ridicule, mock, and demonize the ones who are trying to uh, voice these fairy tales upon the, the American collective. And uh, that's what I love about the drain the swamp painting. We ridicule the crap out of those people. And, uh, and just look at Trump's rallies, man, where <laughs> the, where the crowd burst into spontaneous shouts of CNN sucks. Yeah, I know. I mean, brother, and we're not talking about a small little venue either, man. We're talking about tens of thousands of people uh, inside and, and about half that outside in the blazing hot North Carolina sun. And what's funny is immediately they'll, they'll talk about insultingly compare themselves to like a journalist in El Salvador who's murdered or a journalist in Russia. And it's like, this could happen to us. It's like, no, it's not happening to you. Get over yourselves. You're being shouted down because you're unfair and you're wrong and you're hacks, but nobody's murdering you. You you can even compare your situation to these poor journalists in third world countries. It's kind of crazy. Hey, by the way, have you, Go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead, man. Go ahead, have, man. You, have you got any liberal friends you know, in the St. Louis area or, or, you know, via social media who are, are, who are just embarrassed over the fake news, over CNN, over the, 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 the levels of deception and half-truths and lies and spin that are just like they're, they're getting, you know, well, sick and done with them? I mean, like, if I was a liberal, look, I, I want, I did not want to be a, you know, dorky Republican. I get all that, you know, and uh, so, and you want to be kind of hip and cool, like a liberal and stuff. Uh, but at the same time, man, there's a there's a threshold that I hit to where I say you SOBs are nuttier than a squirrel turd, <laughs> and I'm not following this. And Maxine Waters is not my leader, and Nancy Pelosi. Uh, is a bubble off level, and Hillary Clinton is is <laughs> is, is channeling Legion from Mark chapter four, and uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not following you guys anymore. You guys are going to have to clean the table, clean the slate, and bring great leaders and uh, credible 
reporting and search and pursuit of the truth and evolution and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> well, you're not doing that, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned this the other day when Maxine Waters was doing this, and I, I have a lot of liberal friends. I have liberal family members, and I actually feel sorry for them. Uh, I, I don't really want to help them uh, recover, but I feel sorry for them because, uh, you know, these are people who actually do have, you know, even though I, I disagree with them, they, they have certain principles, they, they, they have certain ideas about certain things, and they're serious about it, and they do this. And then they have people like Maxine Waters representing them or, or Nancy Pelosi and these guys. And I actually, I feel sorry for them right. because, you know, it's like, wow, you guys are being so undermined and insulted and, and, and your, your people are getting the idea that that's what a liberal is. And in some cases that's true, but ha having known yeah. a lot of them uh, and they're, and they're seemingly level-headed people just with different ideas, I can't imagine how demeaning it must be to sit there and watch, you know, <laughs> Maxine Waters <laughs> do your bidding. Oh my gosh, man. She was, she's a, she had a stem winder the other day out on the curb, didn't she? <laughs> You know, yeah. you gotta go after them. You gotta go after them. <laughs> in the gas station, gasoline the, stations. Like, are you kidding me, lady? <laughs> well, for a couple thought, hours, for for a couple I hours, James Brown wig was gonna come straight off, man. It should be. A, yeah, <laughs> for a couple hours on Twitter three. after that, um, there was a hashtag trending: "Walk away," or "We gotta walk away." Democrats were people that were. So there was sort of a, a what you're saying where people aren't you embarrassed? Isn't it time to start getting a little bit more clear headed about what we're going down here this path? And on Twitter there was a nice little trend for a while of Democrats who were saying, "I'm not with her, and I'm not I'm not like that. I don't want to go down that path." Wow, so, good, yeah. awesome, man. Yeah. No, I listen. If I was the liberals, like a uh, uh, timeout, could could we get uh, could we get somebody here that? <laughs> that spittle doesn't fly from their mouth when they scream about physical violence against political opponents, please. Unbelievable, yeah. man. I was trying to figure and out they, how and she... They, and they say Trump's crazy and he's yeah. unhinged, man. That chick was was more unhinged than a formerly stuck door in Chuck Norris's house. <laughs> I, I, I was trying to figure out how she thought this was all going to work out for them if, like, I'm pumping gas and there's somebody going, come on, everybody, gather around. We're going to attack Jamie Alt. You know, it's like, oh, really? How's that going to work out for you? Do you guys have any idea who we are? One thing I will tell you, though, when you talk about Trump, when people talk about Trump being crazy, one thing he has never done, and that is try to turn on voters. He's never incited action, violence, contempt, or whatever on voters of his opponents, the way the Democrat leadership does, where they basically have all but said that if you're a Trump voter, you should be targeted. I've never seen anything in my lifetime like that, and that's why Hillary lost the election, and they still haven't learned. Well, Trump's Trump's not a communist or a Marxist-Leninist, and that's uh, that's part of you know their forte, man. Is that if uh, if if they can't get you to you know swallow. Their goofy and found wanting uh, worldview and policies. Then the next thing <laughs> is the sword. Here comes the violence. You you villa based. We have rules. Yeah, crazy. All right. Hey, by the way, so so the painting is there, and I, I I'm sorry if I didn't hear you say this. Is it available in a poster form? Yeah, it's only uh, uh, available right now uh, in a little 
11 by 14. The the images, the, the prints are amazing, man. Yeah. And it's done on, like, poster paper, uh, nice art paper, and uh, full color. And, uh, yeah, 30 bucks, 11 by 14 inches, drain the swamp, <laughs> order it quick before the 4th of July so you can have it nicely framed, like in the kitchen where all the, your liberal relatives gather. <laughs> and uh, And you talk about fireworks, man. <laughs> you will see them. You'll see them go from zero to six, from zero to Maxine Waters in like four seconds. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, listen, have a great weekend, brother, and uh, thanks for all the illumination. And uh, appreciate you spending time with us, man. Right on. Thanks, Jamie. Stay proud, buddy. You too. ClashDaily.com. and that's the end of the road for us, baby, because this is where it all goes into the weekend. Thank you very much. Thanks to you, DiscoveryDesignInc.com. From the Discovery Design. Trucking Center, Outfitters. Man, these guys are great. And uh, they'll do anything for you. Wrap it. Build it. You name it. DiscoveryDesignInc.com. All right, Phil. Take care, Nine Killer. Take care, my man. All right, everybody. Have a good one.